saw the sun shine so bright, never saw things go so right. Notice in the day's hurry and by when you're in love, my, my heart ain't fly. Lord, help the mister who comes between me and my sister. And Lord, help the sister who comes between me and my man. The two greatest figures in show business, Bing and Danny, as two ex-GIs who form the perfect partnership. Rosemary and Vera Ellen as the sisters who have them in a spin. With Dean Jagger as the unemployed general they take under their wing. Apparently there's still quite a bit about show business I don't understand. Oh, it'll come to you, sir. Just takes time. We wouldn't be any good as generals. You weren't any good as privates. A wonderful story that will warm your hearts. Just as the breathtaking scope of a new screen wonder will widen your eyes. White Christmas in Vista Vision. And Sleep, counting your blessings. The best thing happened while you're dancing. Things that you would not do at home come naturally on the floor. Handy, there's a minister. Handy. So don't you linger your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmases be Uh, this is Rob Kelly, half of the Fire and Water podcast, and we're here on kind of a bizarre little special occasion. Uh, this is going to be an audio commentary track for one of my all-time favorite movies, White Christmas. Uh, it's a movie that it's I only discovered fairly recently. We'll get into that later, but it is rocketed into like my top ten or top five movies of all time, and it's something. It's a movie that I just simply love to talk about, and. Uh, I got this idea of wanting to do an audio commentary, and, uh, you know, I just thought, well, if I'm going to do it, you know, let's have people hear it. So we're going to put it up on the Fire and Water feed, and, uh, you know, you can ignore it if you want. Like I said, it's not an episode of the Fire and Water podcast at all. The, the connection to comic books in this film is is pretty much non-existent, though there's a little bit, a little bit here and there, which we'll get to. But uh, you just thought if any of you out there enjoy this movie, love it the way I do, uh, then maybe you'll enjoy me and uh, my co-host Earth Two, Chris, aka Chris Franklin. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Rob. Hi, people. There you go. That's Chris. Chris uh, volunteered to join me and do this with me, which I really appreciate. So, you know, if you love this movie and you just want to hear two goofballs just talk about it during as it runs, uh, hit play and we'll enjoy it. So, anyway, we're going to sync it up as we do as Michael Bailey does with his audio commentaries and stuff. We're going to sync it up. So, uh, we have the DVD ready. Chris, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So uh, if you're listening along and you got your DVD ready or your Netflix up on Netflix, uh, it's up on Netflix for free, so you can watch it there too, uh, hit the play button right now. Uh, there we've got the, uh, the opening logo. It says Paramount proudly presents the first picture in Vista Vision. Vista. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, which was, you know, at the, at the time, uh, movies were trying to compete with television, trying to lure people back into the theaters, and they were doing everything they could to come up with something interesting or something that they uh, could offer people that, that you couldn't offer on television. And of course, that meant giant widescreen vistas. So uh, there was different versions. There was like uh, Cinerama and Cineround and whatever, but this is Paramount's own version, VistaVision. Uh, as we see the opening credits here are rolling. We've got Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, where's Mary Clooney, Vera Ellen, and uh, Dean Jagger, and then we got John Braccia and Ann Whitfield and Mary Wicks. Mary Wicks is always one of my favorites. One of my favorite like supporting characters from like she was in one of the Abbott Costello movies. Uh, she was in Sister Act later on in life. She she was a great comic foil. And she was a, she's a great busybody. Yeah, she is. She's a great busybody. <laughs> she self-described busybody in this movie. Uh, I'm going to get into a little bit why, before the the plot kicks in big time, why I love this movie so much. I had never seen White Christmas until uh, last year, uh, if you can believe it. Um, Every Christmas, uh, Darla and Tracy and I watch nothing but Christmas movies, pretty much from Thanksgiving through New Year's. And we run through the same films over and over again. Uh, You know, it's like, oh, directed by Michael Curtiz. Big time director Michael Curtiz, man who brought us *Adventures of Robin Hood* and *Casablanca*. Um, yeah. yeah, *Christmas Eve*, 1944. Um, anyway, I'll just get into this briefly. I never. We always usually watch *Elf* and *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles* and *Scrooged*. And then this was on Netflix, and I thought, oh, this will be all right. I'll give this a shot. I've never seen it. I understand it's well regarded, so I watched it. And I was like, wow, that, that was that was pretty good. And then I watched it. I think we put it on again a couple of days later, and I went, boy, that, that's really – that was really good. And then it, I think on like the third or fourth showing, I was, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean it was just – it just clicked yeah. with me in so many ways. And now uh, I think we watched it every day from, from like January through April uh, practically. <laughs> so, uh, I mean we didn't just sit and do nothing and we actually, you know – did other things. We had it on in the background, but every single day. So it has just become one of my all-time top ten favorite movies. And uh, at an age where, you know, you kind of think your top ten movies are sort of set. Those movies are tend to be movies you see in your teens or your 20s. Generally, when you get to be my age, you don't you don't find a new all-time favorite movie. But the, this, this one barged its way onto the top ten. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, you know, I, I know I saw this movie... As a kid, you know, I think my mom was a was a fan of it, um, and uh, you know, I remember it being on, but I don't think I ever really watched it uh, until a few years ago too. I mean, that I really sat down, watched it from beginning to end, and really, you know, paid attention to the plot and the characters, and you know, more. It was just kind of the movie that was based around the song, you know, right, to, right. to me before that. So, and I've really grown to appreciate it too, and. Uh, 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 AMC plays the heck out of it at Christmas time. I think they've been playing it all weekend. Oh wow! Uh, so even okay. okay. Regular cable, you you can watch it. You know, I think they've been playing it back to back. So you know, I think that's where I really the first time I really sat down and watched it. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 just great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we've been talking over what's been happening. Obviously, the movie opens at Christmas Eve, nineteen forty four, and we're in uh, Europe somewhere in Europe. And uh, Bing Crosby playing uh, uh, Bob Wallace and uh, Danny Kaye playing Phil, I forget what's it, Phil Davis. Uh, they are members of this platoon, and their commander is uh, right there, but played by, is, is uh, Major General Thomas Waverly, played by Dean Jagger. 
And we we got an inst- a, a very early um, sort of little bit of his character in that, that we see this is Christmas Eve, and General Waverly is going to be turning over command of the troops to a new general. And as we saw in that early scene, that new general is just an ass. Uh, he wants he, – he's <laughs> – Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, I said he is. He's yeah. like Ebenezer Scrooge. In yeah, that, he, right, exactly. He's like Scrooge. He's he's <laughs> like you know what, what's the what's all of this about, Captain? And uh, and of course, you know, in, initially we see General Waverly is going along with it and agreeing with him. And then the, the thing where he tells the uh, the driver of the jeep take the shortcut. And then the yeah. his captain, which is uh, what the, what's the character's name is Joe, uh, who only has a minor role, played by Richard Shannon, says something like. The, the, that shortcut's gonna he's gonna get lost in that shortcut and the, 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 that's not a shortcut and, and General Waverly says yeah you know that and I know that but the general doesn't know that uh, so right there we know that, that General Waverly clearly cares for his troops he may be a tough gruff guy but but he knows when to give these people a break and he sees that this little Christmas pageant that they're putting on is important so right right in the get go you know you love General Waverly you know you're totally on his side. He's, you know, um, so here he is watching the show put on by uh, Bing Crosby, who's playing his Bob Wallace, who is, by this point in the story, is already a established uh, nightclub and, and uh, you know, stage actor and comedian. So there, okay, everybody, is, he, General Waverly has revealed his presence there in the middle of the guys. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of neat because, you know, there were so many actors and entertainers that served during World War II in active duty. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it's totally plausible that, that Bob Wallace could be a famous Bing Crosby type and, and be in Europe in, in, you know, in the war. So yeah. that, that, you know, that's kind of hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to, for us to think of that, you know, but, uh, you know, we're not sending, you know, our action heroes over Afghanistan or anything. But <laughs> right. Channing Tatum, Channing Tatum is not going over to war or anything like that. Yeah. No, that's true. Right, right. Uh, yeah. If you look at a lot of the film careers of the big actors from this time, there have, there were several years worth of gaps between like uh, Jimmy Stewart did not make a film between 1941 and 1946. Cause he was overseas serving. He was a brigadier general. So, uh, uh, yeah, that that is wow. absolutely true. That is, I think he was the highest ranked actor. I think the, in terms of in terms of a Hollywood celebrity that that joined the military, he achieved the highest rank of anybody. But anyway, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. It is completely plausible that someone of Bob Wallace's relative stature would be serving here. And uh, we see that he's a he is a captain, so he's an officer. Uh, Phil yes. Davis is a private, so which is why they've got slightly different uniforms here. And uh, of course, they'll be wearing different uniforms later on in the in the when they um, when they do the show at the at the end of the movie, but uh, here's you know is uh, General Waverly is sort of giving them grief, but also sort of then he lets them go on with the show and they they sing the first big song. Well, I mean the first big song obviously was White Christmas, uh, which was something being sang in the beginning. Now White Christmas, of course, did not debut in this movie. It first debuted in the movie Holiday Inn, which starred Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby. Um, and then this this second song is The Old Man which is a very sweet song they're singing to their general here. Um, people have mentioned, I've, I've read it online a bunch of times, that uh, that White Christmas has been described as a sequel to Holiday Inn, and it's not. It's not a sequel. It has a similar some similar setting in that the Holiday Inn is an inn, and in, in, I'm not sure if it's in Vermont, but it's an inn where these entertainers perform, 
but it's it's they're different characters. It's 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 com- totally not a, a sequel in any way, other than they just both use the song "White Christmas." Right, and I and I, I think I read online where they actually use the same set for the inn. Yes, uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the 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 inn is the same set redressed and stuff. So, yeah. and obviously, do a Holiday Inn is right. in black and white. This is in color. Uh, yeah, I actually watched Holiday Inn not too long after watching White Christmas because I had heard people said, "Oh, if you love White Christmas, you'll love Holiday Inn." And Holiday Inn just left me cold. It just really did. And uh, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I know people regard it as a classic, but I just watched it and went, oh, "Okay," and that was the end of that. <laughs> it's not anything that. <laughs> Uh, there we go. Now uh, General Waverly and Joe are pretty much leaving. That's it. They're, I guess Joe is the ca- yep. his adjutant captain is going along with General Waverly. So uh, there, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now we've got some some uh, some actual war stuff going on here. Yeah. Now this, I mean, the, the, this war stuff is not the most gripping war footage ever shot, but it's not meant to be. It's meant to be just yeah. just enough trouble. To, to give the idea that, you know, okay, here now, this is the big theme, this is the big hook of this movie. There we go. Phil Davis just saves, uh, oh, then they get a bunch of stuff dumped on him. He saves uh, Bob Wallace's life by pulling him yep. out of the way of that falling wall. And Davis ends up with, as he puts it, just I'm kind of screwed. What'd you say? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm kind of wondering where the, where the actual debris that fell on Davis it seemed to come out of the sky yeah. away from the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Presumably there was uh, another you know, building just, somewhere, yeah. There's another building right, and, yeah, or something. Yeah, off screen, yeah. It's, it's kind of weird that it didn't come from that wall. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> now, uh... And, and I don't... Go ahead. No, I, I was going to... Uh, out of the spoiler warning, but it kind of it kind of bothers me that, uh, that Davis didn't... Uh, you know, get, get a commendation and, a, and you know, a, a kick upstairs for what he did to save his captain, you know. That's true. That's right. Private. Yeah, that's true. Well, maybe, maybe later <laughs> on. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right, because he's still a private even after, you know, what's Waverly keeps referring to him as a private afterwards. So, yeah, you're right. He never did get a promotion. That, that, that doesn't seem fair. That's kind of a big deal. You save your captain's <laughs> life. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he get a purple heart and, a, you know, at least to make sergeant or something. something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see here, this is a scene of, we see how uh, industrious and conniving uh, Davis is because he now is trying to insern, insinuate himself as, as an uh, the half of an act that, uh, that uh, you know, that he wants to partner with Wallace. And Wallace is like, well, I'm a single. I don't do a double act. But Davis is, of course, not above using his arm injury. As <laughs> there, There's the gag with the, he shook hands with, and there's, there's Bob. Wait a minute. What did I just see? Oh, all right. And then he walks away. <laughs> oh, well. <wow. laughs> now it's VE day. The war is over. Everybody's coming home. And we have a little montage here of Wallace and Davis have, in fact, teamed up and are, I guess, a big success. I love the footage of them, of this act they do. Because it's, it's some, yeah. some of it, it's like, what the hell is this? I mean, now here they're, they're singing... <laughs> They're singing. They're singing "Heat Wave" here. Now that's a standard. You know that that's, makes sense. But then there's the Wallace Davis act, Bafo. This this is the one here where he's just dancing around, being <laughs> like, "What is that? Is that a song? I don't understand what that's supposed to be." Uh, now they've got the Wallace and Davis show. So yeah, that 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 uh, the dancing and some of this stuff seems probably like it was kind of ad libbed. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, on the okay. set. Yeah. Now then, now we see that their their variety tells us that they're going to produce a show. 
Bob's not happy with that. Come on, Phil's trying to get him to go along with it. And then, of course, Phil touches the arm. Oh, I remember my arm. There you go. <laughs> he's not a, he's <laughs> always using that. And now they've got their uh, musical that they're, that they're doing, their big musical. For Florida. Down in Florida, yeah. Um, I guess while, while they're singing here, we have a little chance to get into some, some backstory. Originally, White Christmas was supposed to star Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby, both of them. But Fred Astaire had uh, temporarily retired at that point, so he bowed out. So then they moved, they uh, changed it to uh, Bing Crosby and Donald O'Connor. And then Donald O'Connor got sick from uh, working on a Francis the Talking Mule picture. Uh, and... Um, uh, he bowed out, and they replaced him with Danny Kay. <laughs> now, Danny Kay, uh, uh, Danny Kay, to, to, to be in this movie, demanded a fairly large chunk of the profits. And uh, uh-huh. I, I, I read online that he had no expectation that they that they thought he thought that they would agree to that because it was such a huge demand. But apparently, they did. And, of course, that worked out for him because Red Christmas was the number one box office hit of 1954. So he made his money big time off of this movie. And, uh, and White Christmas, of course, is uh, – what is it, Chris? Is it the, the, the second biggest selling single of all time? I think so. It was the number one selling single of all time, I think, for you know years and years. And I think it was uh, uh, knocked off the, the, the top by uh, – uh, Elton John's uh, remake of Candle in the Wind for Princess Di. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it sold something like 100 million copies. White Christmas is just, you know, one of the hugest songs ever written. So, uh, I mean, there's a reason why on the DVD and everything else the movie is called Irving Berlin's White Christmas, even though he didn't, you know, yeah. actually work on the film in, in any, you know, sort of camera sense, uh, technical sense. There, this, uh, this uh, lettuce here, the one who says mutual, I'm sure that is uh, Barry <laughs> Bar- Barry Chase, who will later go on to a fairly large career in Hollywood as a dancer. But here she was just an unknown. She plays a woman that uh, Phil tries to set Bob up with, and Bob has absolutely no interest in. And this is again setting up the the argument here that uh, that that Bob is a workaholic, and uh, I love how well this scene is synchronized where they're. They're both putting their – they have to throw their clothes to one another, and it all has to be in sync while they're doing the dialogue. It's pretty remarkable. It it really kind of fills in that these guys have been together for several years. They've spent every waking moment together pretty much and because that's that's, uh, that's Danny Kaye's whole argument. You know, give me – I need to get you itched so I can have a breather. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you get the sense that they have been together for 10 years. I mean, the war's been over for nine years, so they've been together all these nine years. They're throwing each other their shoes, and then they're arguing about it. Phil wants to get Bob married off, and Bob isn't really interested, or or as he says, he's not just hasn't met the right woman yet, and he all the women he's met in show business are sort of conniving, and just not the kind of woman he's looking for, so... Yeah, they have they have a wonderful uh, chemistry. These two, uh, it's it's kind of remarkable they never did another movie together. You would have thought. Yeah, you, you would have thought. Yeah, they would yeah. have paired them up. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like it's very seldom when a when a when a, when it's the number one movie, you would think they they put that combination back together. I mean, you know, uh, it, that doesn't that doesn't happen, especially back back in Hollywood back then, where they would you know like well like. Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, how many movies did they make? Yeah, exactly, together? right. You know, yeah, there was like eight or nine. It seems weird that they didn't try to 
We, yeah, we, uh, we they just did that line about uh, whatever you've got left isn't going to be worth gotten and all that stuff. And Bing Crosby's response is like, once I figure out what that is, I'll come up with a crushing reply. I love that bit where he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but when I figure it out, I'll really zing you after that. I love that. That makes me laugh. <laughs> this movie's got some great dialogue. It's, oh, it does. Uh, it does. Real snappy, you know, and it, it doesn't it doesn't seem unnatural. It, it really does seem like the you know. Two people that have that are that are so used to each other, they just like almost answer each other's questions and finish each other's sentences. So it really works well. Yeah, he's talking about some nice girls. Yeah, they're throw, they're, he just throws that he throws that comb or something to Bing Crosby, who drops it. That looks like that's probably yeah. not not on purpose. But what the hell? It doesn't really matter. You can just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't go to. They didn't go to. You know. Yeah. Now here we well, go. Well, good for Danny Kay for, you know, making a good deal. Listen, Donald O'Connor, you know, at, least, at least he had Singing in the Rain. He's in Singing in the Rain, right? Right. So, yeah, Donald, I mean, yeah, Donald O'Connor did okay for himself. But, boy, he must have really kicked okay. himself, yeah. <laughs> or Francis did. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's funny, you know, how movies work and how things fit together. And, you know, you, you can't – like, I can't picture this movie with Donald O'Connor – because as much as no. as much as Don O'Connor is, of course, supremely talented, he I don't know if I would buy him as the romantic foil for Vera Ellen. Uh, I, he, right. To me, Vera Ellen in this movie and I have to put the, I, I, I guess I should just get it out there. I find, I never really knew Vera Ellen until this movie. I wasn't only dimly aware of her. Um, I heard that she was in the movie. I didn't know who she was, and I just knew that she was by far the least famous of the four. You know, it was like, oh, Bing Crosby, I've heard of him. Danny Kaye was Mary Clooney, and then you're like, Vera Ellen, who's that? I find Vera Ellen in this movie completely irresistible. I mean, completely and utterly irresistible. I think she's so sweet. She's so talented. She's very sexy, and I can't picture her with Donald O'Connor. Right. Like, I just feel like he would be completely overmatched. Uh, oh, here we go. Now, this I got to mention this. We're now down in this Novellos down in Florida. Here, we're going to see a woman as who's just a prop. She doesn't say this woman here on the right hand side of the screen. That woman haunts yeah. my dreams. I mean, that, that woman is so. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw the movie and I saw her, I thought, "Oh my God, who is that gorgeous creature?" And then that's it. She's on. She's out of the movie after that. We never see her again. and that's it. <laughs> she was she was clearly somebody who was a con, you know just a contract player at Paramount and they they you know they had people like that for this purpose of background players and you never even see her face oh god is she gorgeous oh my lord she's it's when I saw her it was like the Tex Avery cartoon with the eyes bugging out of the head and stuff I just, it was like oh my god she's gorgeous anyway <laughs> here are here are the Haynes sisters Rosemary Clooney and Vera Allen. And yeah. uh, we get their dynamic very early on and that Vera Ellen, uh, Judy, is much like Phil, very conniving. And she has pulled this scam to get Bob and Phil to come see their act. And it's only now that uh, that uh, Betty is going to learn about this, that, about this plan. Now, it's funny. Betty is the older sister uh, in the movie. And yet she was uh, – Rosemary Clooney was a good – I think it's been like 10 years younger than Vera Allen or something like that. Seven or eight years younger than Vera Allen. Yeah, yeah, and and oddly enough, uh, Rosemary Clooney in real life started out in a sister act, and her sister's name was Betty. Oh, so, there you go. Strange. Oh, yeah, perfect. 
Now there's that line about uh, they're talking about their brother. Their brother was in the same uh, platoon as Bob and Phil, which is how they made this connection. They make a mention of uh, uh, their brother. Um, uh, uh, they call him uh, Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy. <laughs> their less than charitable description of uh, of him. But they mentioned him that he's... We'll see a picture of him. Right, we'll see a picture of him shortly. They mentioned that, yeah. mention that he's out of the country. He's in Alaska. Of course, this is before Alaska yeah. was admitted to the United States. So technically, he was out of the country in 1954. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you could, you could sort of get by and say, well, you know, uh, he, he's out of the continental United States. But, you know, there we go. Well, she says, what does it matter? They're both famous. So she, she, she's willing to spark a romantic interest with these guys. And it doesn't matter which guy because they're both famous. So, so clearly Judy has got her eyes set on a, a bigger career here. Now here's the big song, yeah. sisters. The big, the, their big song. I hope you like this song because you're going to hear it a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah. An interesting thing that um, that I read online was that uh, Rosemary Clooney, uh, Vera Allen, did not sing in this film. That her voice was dubbed, and and I think in this song it was dubbed by. Rosemary Clooney, she was singing, singing both parts. That's right, that's right. Vera right. Ellen, Vera Ellen was a dancer, not a singer. So, yeah, yeah, she's they did a good job. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they did a good job of. I mean, you can't tell it's Rosemary Clooney singing both parts. They, I don't know if they, she deepened her voice or something for for Judy's character, or it, it seems like her. Uh, they did some. I don't, they didn't auto tune it. That's for sure. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they did something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty seamless. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have known that that it's that's the same woman singing both parts. That's pretty good. Uh, but it's hard to keep up with this thing. I, one of the people I wanted to mention that we saw was Novello, the the guy that runs the nightclub. That actor is Herb Vigran. I guess Vigran. How you pronounce that? Um, he had yeah. a. He's he's got a great classic voice. He did a lot of. Uh, uh, TV and stuff uh, in the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, and he was in the, his last appearance was in the movie Amazon Women on the Moon, uh, which is one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite little cult guilty pleasures. And he was in that movie. He had, yeah. he had, he had a great career. He had, he said he was, he lived uh, from, he was born 1910 and lived till 1986. He, wow. played, he, played, he was, a he was frequently heavy on the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. He, he's, he was a heavy uh, villain on the Adventures of Superman, a lot. <laughs> right? Yeah, he, <laughs> he had several. Yeah, he did multiple episodes of Adventures of Superman. Yeah. And we see Bob and Phil, or so there's a comic. Bob and Phil both really uh, like this. Is, they each like one of the sisters. They've established that that Phil likes Judy, and um, Bob's sort of interested in in Betty. So they're there. Phil is playing matchmaker, getting them to sit down together. There's a, right. I love this bit. I love this bit where Phil keeps going way too hard on pairing up Betty and uh, and Bob. And Bob, we'll get to it in a second. Where Bob talks into when he when he talks to Phil while he's got the the glass of water up to his mouth and he does the whole yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of the re- another reason I like love this movie is uh, this set is beautiful. This nightclub it doesn't have a roof on it. Like what an awesome, right. yeah, what an awesome nightclub that it's all outside all the time. It's so wonderfully atmosphere. Oh, here we go. Now we're going to see Freckleface Haynes. There, there's Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy. Uh, that is Alfalfa from the Little Rascals. Uh, I have, yes. 
I have never been able yep. to figure out why that's Alfalfa. <laughs> like, why it's him, but that's that's him. That's that's the actor who played Alfalfa. Yeah, he was, I guess he was still working in Hollywood, at little parts here and there, and, and uh, uh, you know, this was 54. Unfortunately, he was shot and killed in 1959, so over $50 by an acquaintance of his. So, <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah. Oh, there's the... Sorry to bring down the oh, commentary. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there's the bit of there. just did a bit about the, uh, where he, he says pushing, pushing, and he's trying to get Bill, get Phil to back off a little bit. Now, Judy wants some free advice. Judy's very, here we go, nice big kind of glamour shot there of Rosemary Clooney. We see that, that Bob is clearly there. See, Phil notices. <laughs> Yeah, and this is great. There, he's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna grab Judy. Then the, the, uh, something else I love about this movie is in the grand tradition of supporting characters. I love that Phil and Judy uh, clearly like each other from the beginning and don't really fuss about it. Like they both acknowledge that they like each other a lot, and they just go with it. You know, they they they. There's not a lot of argument there. These here, Bob and Betty, have a, a long road to take before they realize they love each other. But Phil and Judy just immediately sort of, hey, we both dig each other and let's yeah. move forward, you know? Yeah. I guess their plot was uncomplicated, so uh, so Bob and Betty's could be, you know? Exactly, right. Yeah, it works <laughs> yeah. perfectly. I mean, they remind me of um, when Harry met Sally. Uh, have, you ever, have you seen that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher in that movie. The minute those two meet each other, they're just like, hey, we really like each other, and off we go. And there's something very charming about that, that they just, you know, yeah. they're unfussy, they're not, you know, and here, now Bob is uh, Bob is learning that this was all an angle, and he's a, he's saying that uh, he doesn't mind that because he figure, he doesn't think anything more of anybody, and Betty's very bothered by Bob's cynicism about that. But, you know, Bob's like, hey, it's no big deal, you fooled us. It's part of the game, it's okay. Betty doesn't like yes. that very much, so... No, she does not. <laughs> Betty gets her feathers ruffled several times in this film. Yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> I mean, we will admit later on, later on, it is a very Three's Company kind of plot later on where there's a misunderstanding and nobody did, but you know, you just forgive it. It's, it's, this was, yeah. This was, first of all, this is 1954. This is a good 20 years before Three's Company wore that motif into the ground, you know, in terms of, right, uh, right. you know, hinging a plot on a overhearing or whatever, but, it's okay, you know. It's uh, here they're Phil and Phil and Judy clearly like each other quite a bit. Um, the costumes in this movie are by Edith Head, the legendary Edith Head, who you know was pretty much like the costumer of the golden age of Hollywood. That's probably the only person to ever really become famous for doing that job uh, was Edith Head, and we see the two of these costumes she's got here. Phil Davis, Danny Kaye is in a suit, a gray suit. And even his shoes are gray. They're matched to his suit, so he looks like this beautiful line of gray going all the way down. And then there, you've got uh, Judy in her pink. Apparently, in 1954, gray and pink were like hot, fashionable colors at the time as a combination. Yeah. So that's why they're there together. And I love this this whole back part that Novellos has, uh, which doesn't seem to have any definable purpose. There's no tables out there. It's just. It's just something for people to use. <laughs> Go out and have a dance number. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's it's there for people to have dance numbers. I guess. 
Yeah, this is one of the that earliest. That was Danny Kaye, um, you know, was, was I, I, I guess, you know, was he more, he wasn't so much famous as being a dancer, was he? But he's, he's a very good dancer. Uh, I mean, I know he had danced in other films, but it, you know, you, you could have fooled me that he was like, you know, a Gene Kelly type or something here, you know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I don't think he was terribly famous for that. I mean, I guess, of course, back then, you know, the actors were so much more multi-talented. You know, you had to dance and sing and act and do all these things. So, I mean, I'm sure he had these, he clearly had these skills because Vera Ellen was a professional dancer. And she yes. is tremendous in this movie. And in this number, Danny Kaye keeps up with her. He completely keeps yeah. up with her. So, uh, you know, he obviously had pretty decent skills. Maybe they were untapped to this point, but he's keeping up. This dance number is simply amazing. I mean, the 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 athleticism of it, uh, I mean, and, and, it, and it does tell a story. I mean, they're flirting with each other. These two are, you know, falling in love very quickly here. I love this whole dock they've got going for, for no, again, no good reason. Why does this restaurant have this back here? With the zip line. Yeah, then there's a zip line. Yeah, later on, the, later on in the number, they're going to grab a zip line for Pete's sake. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, what, what amazes me, if you throughout this movie, there are very few cuts in the dance numbers. I don't understand how these people do this so flawlessly. Yeah, that's you know, true. Cut there, but, you know, when they got up on top of this little cabana roof, but there's there's not that many cuts. I mean, they're it's just the hours it must have taken to get this in rehearsal so they could shoot. Of course, you don't know how many times they they did it, but, I mean, you just they make it look so easy, but it's... It's incredible. Nowadays, if they did, if they made a movie like this, there'd be like a cut every, you know, ten seconds. So it'd be easy to edit together. Yeah, it's unfortunate now with computer graphics that you can't really impress anybody because most people are just going to assume, <laughs> well, they faked it. You know, here we go. This is the zip line. Why is there a zip line at the back of this restaurant? Why is that there? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, a testament to how good Vera Ellen is as a dancer. We're we're, we're heading near the end of this dance. At the very end, Danny Kaye will get on one knee and twirl Vera Ellen around her. And if you look carefully, Vera Ellen trips over Danny Kaye's back foot. But she is so oh. – right there, she tripped and yet never broke her stride and you don't even notice it. Like that's, no. a, that's a pretty damn good dancer that you can <laughs> – you, I mean you see her do it. You see her trip over his foot but it doesn't – you know. Uh, it didn't. It didn't ruin the take or anything like that. So, there now. Wow. Now here's yeah. Now we find out that Betty and Judy are wanted by the police for apparently <laughs> their yeah the, the police. Jeez, uh, their landlord is claiming that they owe him. They owe him money, and they're saying no, no, no. He's faking it. This is. They're saying he we burned this burned a hole in the uh, carpet. Um, I have had a chance to read the original shooting script of this movie, which is very different from the final version. The shooting script um, uh, is, uh, w was written, the one that I read uh, was when, uh, was done for when Donald O'Connor was going to be in the movie, so it's several years old. But they make a point to mention that there's no way that Betty or Judy could have set fire to their rug because neither one of them smokes. They, mm. they, they, make, they make that point in the original script. That uh, the the girls don't smoke, so they couldn't have done it here. They they just say no, 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 it's fake. The the, the guy's lying. Now Phil's going into action. He is going to help get the, help the girls escape, and he's going to rope Bob into it. 
And here we're going to see a recurring, again, similar to uh, Phil with the injured arm. They're going to do the thing about where, uh, why are we doing this for an old pal in the army? This is a, yeah. going to be a, I mean, this whole movie is about doing something for an old pal in the army. So that's a, yeah. a motif that's going to run through over and over again here. The girls are escaping and uh, Phil is helping them. And then Phil gets the idea to give them the train tickets that he and Bob had that they were going to take to New York because they were going to go to New York to go to the Ed Harrison show, which is clearly a stand-in for the Ed Sullivan show, to promote the their show, to promote playing around. Um, but here he's giving up his tickets to the girls. They're going to escape out the window. I love um, when they jump out the cab that pulls up. First of all, this whole scene must take place around 1 in the morning. Uh, you know, like all of this is going on at one in the morning. You could just get a cab at one in the morning. <laughs> look, look, how, look how beautiful that cab is. That is so good. Go- it looks like something out of the Dick Tracy movie, you know? It's beautiful. Yeah. The yellows are like golden. Oh, my God. This is such a pretty movie to look at. Why, are col- why is color so great in these old movies? It, it just looks so – why can't we make vibrant – Colored movies nowadays. You know, it's it's Technicolor. It's and I don't yeah. I don't fully understand why, but I've read this that literally Technicolor cannot be reproduced nowadays. It literally cannot be. I don't fully understand that why you can't kind of fake it with computer graphics. Uh-huh. But uh, here we go. Now here's the sheriff who is being uh, mollified by all the free food, and the, there's the landlord there. Now the landlord's voice is very familiar to anybody that knows old timey. Films, uh, that is actor Sig Roman as the landlord. He only has this brief appearance. Uh, he was in dozens and dozens of classic films. He was in Stalag 17, Nanachka, A Night at the Opera, To Be or Not to Be. I mean, the man had an amazing career as a um, character actor. And here he is just making this brief. He was in House of Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> uh, and here he is. Oh, wow. Yeah, and here he is in this one one little uh, one little appearance here as the uh, landlord. Uh, now here's you know sisters again here go but this time done by Bob and Phil. Uh, this was not meant to be in the movie. This was something done by Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. They were just horsing around, and Michael Curtiz decided to put it in the movie. Bing Crosby's really vamping it up. I think it's funny. He just he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looks. So ridiculous! It's it's hilarious that and you know they're they're not as good with the the uh, feathered fans as no, the yeah. girls were, but yeah, oh, I love how <laughs> loose it is. Yeah, I mean they're they're completely missing the lip syncing, and it's fine. It's, it's it's they're not it's it's you know they're obviously lip syncing, so it's okay that they're not following along. In fact, right at the end of the number, you'll see that Bing Crosby just completely forgets what he's singing, and it doesn't match at all. Yeah. what the audio is. But the, everyone's enjoying it. <laughs> Nowadays, this would be a, if 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 uh, Wallace and Davis did this in a nightclub, it'd be all over YouTube in like two seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody on tables would have their phones out recording all this. Yeah, there you go. There you right. start. now, Bing Crosby just starts to lose it. There, when Danny, Danny Kate, now when they do a close up right here, when he turns, there he's not even close to matching what he's singing, but it doesn't matter. Right. Who cares? They look like they're having a great time. <laughs> And they run yeah, out. You can tell that's an actual laughter, not 
not uh, not acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love here that Phil's like, "Hey, we, let's go out and take a bow." Like, he's constantly looking for his applause. It's like, yeah, and there, there they're gonna run. Here, I love this. The sheriff. <laughs> they're like Evan Costello. These two. It's like they're they're presumably grown men, and yet they're running from the sheriff like they're little kids. You know, like love that. <laughs> If they just signed autographs for him, he'd probably go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this really isn't, yeah, they probably really could have gotten away with it. There, now they jump There's another cab. Another, another cab. And it's just, uh, it's just, and it just drove by. Yeah. I, I don't think they called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see a Tommy gun sticking out of the window of that cab. You're right. It's yeah. very Dick Tracy. <laughs> there, now, now the, uh, the ticket conductor is like, where's your tickets? And, uh. Of course, Bob thinks, uh, you know, well, you, we've got tickets. Where's the tickets? And Phil has to vamp here and pretend that he doesn't know where the tickets are. When, of course, he does. He gave them to the girls. Now, this ticket conductor, he, he I know he is someone uh, that I should know who he is, but I can't place him. His voice is very, sounds very familiar, but I can't for the life of me. Uh, place him. I should look it up on IMDb. <laughs> I believe I'm, look, I'm looking at it right here. I believe that is because he's listed as train conductor. That's got to be who this is. Because the other, did we see another train conductor? But this one has he has much more, many more lines than the other one. I believe this is Percy Helton, uh, who was in films like The Setup, Hoss Hush, Sweet Charlotte, Crisscross, and one of my all time favorites, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, he was oh, on, okay. He was on the Beverly Hillbillies. Green Acres, he was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Petticoat Junction, Mission Impossible, Get Smart. Uh, he did a lot of The Girl from Uncle, Bonanza, Gunsmoke. I mean, Ed Perry Mason. He had a lot of. He was on The Twilight Zone as well. So he was. Uh, these, all these guys, everyone in this movie, even down to the smallest part, these are all like these guys with amazing careers, you know? Like, they, they, yeah. Another reason I love this movie so much is it is such like an example of the Hollywood studio system. You know, it was every yeah. role is filled by somebody with an enormous career. It's sort of remarkable. Now we see there. Oops, up oh, there are the girls. Phil has to cover up <laughs> why the girls are in the booth meant for the the uh, the uh, the uh, bed car meant for the boys. This is another thing that that charms me about this movie is. Um, Something that I mean, it, it's obviously it's it's a glimpse of American culture that is gone forever. You know, I mean, this is utterly gone because they are boarding this train now. Now, if you if you follow the timeline of this, all these scenes have happened in one night. Everything with the going down to Novellos and then the chase and then the train. This is all one night. So this has got to be by the time these guys get on the train, this is going to be about three in the morning. Right? Yeah. Now, in a moment, right. in a moment, the girls are going to show up. Now, Bob is figuring out what's well now what Phil's been up to. Um, I love that about you know you wouldn't let me stay in the drafty old club car. I'm going to stay up all night here in the drafty old club car. Here he's going to get mad. Now, here are the girls. The girls show up. They're all dressed up. They want to make a good impression. Now, yeah, they're all very complimentary to Bob here. But it's in a moment they are going to order food from the porter there who we saw briefly uh wiping up the the counter i believe he's the only african-american in this entire movie is the 
is this guy here. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is an extremely white movie. There's no, no, no joys around it. Here, they order like full meals. I love that. Vera Ellen goes, I want a milkshake. I want a malt. It's like, it's three in the morning. <laughs> like, like, those places are gone now. You can't go anywhere. And, unless you're in like New York City, you really can't go anywhere at three in the morning and order a full meal. And there's somebody there to take your order. I just, I'm so charmed by that. Right. This is, this was a world that, you know, in the middle of the night, you could say, hey, man, can I get some soup and a milkshake and a, and a hamburger? And there was somebody there to go, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, you can get that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just... yeah. Other than Waffle House. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there, right. Yeah. I mean, you could, but I mean, it's like, yeah. I love the idea that, that uh, there's Phil using his arm again. We're going to go, Phil wants to take, go with the girls, go to Vermont. Bob doesn't want to go, but he gives in, of course. Gonna to go to Vermont. <laughs> We're going to Vermont. <laughs> yeah. And now they're gonna sing another song here. They're gonna sing uh, Snow, which was originally a song uh, meant for another movie, and it was called Free. And it was all of it had nothing to do with snow, and it was singing about freedom. But uh, Irving Berlin repurposed it, never throw anything away, and uh, repurposed it right. for, uh, for uh, turned it into this uh, an ode to snow. Uh, my wife and I, whenever it, this this song comes up a lot, when it snows, and I'll do a you know really bad Bing Crosby snow, <laughs> and she'll snow, you know, <laughs> so. So this movie that has definitely had no effect. So <laughs> that was my one bad Bing Crosby for the for the commentary. I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad, Chris. Really, I mean, it was, it's way better than my FDR, and I do that all the time on the Fire and Water podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. We should have FDR say something that, you know. I, you know, yeah. I, is, <laughs> I'm sure he would have loved this movie. I'm sure he would have. Had he, had he lived to see it. Here, they're doing this little, <laughs> making this little diorama of the snow here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's nice. I, I, for the longest time, I had a, I had a problem with um, musicals, Hollywood musicals, because I always thought the music was kind of square. You know, it wasn't rock and roll, and that was what I grew up on. And, you know, I, I probably thought I was maybe a little too cool for, for that music, which is ridiculous. I read comic books. Who was I trying to kid, you know? Uh, but uh, it so it took me a long time. So, I mean, I've always been an, an appreciator of of film, of, of films from all eras, ever since I was a teenager. I, I, you know, loved movies of all different kinds. But musicals was, like, the last genre that I really warmed up to. And now I really love them. Now I really have an appreciation for, for how well and beautiful some of these musical musicals are, and especially the music. I mean, the, the, the music in this film is, is wonderful. Um, it is a little corny, and but who cares? You know, it's... Uh, yeah. It's very tuneful and very happy and joyous, and it fits the movie utterly perfectly. Now, this is confusing here. Clearly, I guess everybody, I guess they've switched trains because now the girls are not in the room. They're they're, they're in a. I had notes. Yeah, they're 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 now in in they're sleeping in, you know, just a hallway. You know, and I don't know what you call it, but they're 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 they don't have their own room anymore. They did earlier. 
Now, in the stock footage of the trains moving, they used two different pieces of train footage to convey the trip. So maybe they switched trains on the way from – I mean, this is a long trip. It's from Florida to Vermont. So uh, maybe, they yeah, switched, yeah. maybe they switched trains and then they ended up losing their room or something like that. But, yeah, yeah the, the girls don't have their room anymore. Now they're all right. They're in Vermont, and uh, they think they're going to, of course, think they're going to find this winter playground. And uh, no, there's no snow. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks we're in Carolina. Bob says yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it actually kind of does right there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, now they're, they're, again, they're all talking about how warm everything is, and yet they're all bundled up. they got 19 layers on here. There's a guy that brought his skis and didn't get to ski. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now this is, if, if, if I'm correct, this is I. Stanford Jolly. That's the guy's actual name, I. Stanford Jolly, as the okay. station manager. Here, um, he had a long another another guy with longer. He's he has three hundred and sixty three credits on IMDb. Uh, wow, <laughs> uh, he was in a lot of uh, movie serials. He was in King of the Rocket Men, The Crimson Ghost, and he did a ton of westerns. I mean, he was in virtually every western on television all the way up until uh, nineteen seventy six. He was in a TV series called The Quest. Uh, he was born in 1900, and he lived until 1978. So, again, another guy with an astonishingly long career. Wow. Uh, and now we're – okay, now we're at the uh, we're, we're at the Columbia Inn, which is oh, – oh, here's my favorite. Oh, there she is, Mary Wicks as Ellen, the, ho- the, uh, the hotel manager. I love Mary Wicks. Uh, I think she is just so funny. She's such a great comic – Supporting actress. Uh, she was in one of my all-time favorite Adam Costello movies, Who Done It. Um, she was on Mash, another one of my favorite things. She made a guest appearance on Mash, and she was in a thousand things. I just love her. I think she's so funny, and it's such a she's perfectly cast in this part as the, as you say, busybody uh, hotel manager. <laughs> I, I, I did not even once you said sister act, it popped in my head. Yes, I, I wouldn't even have thought that she would have you know, been in that movie that late in the game. But, uh, yeah, she, I mean, I totally, I can just see her with the, the habit on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Watching she, the movie. <laughs> she lived, she lived until 1995 and she was in sister act and sister act Two. She was in little women, the Winona Ryder version. She played grandma. in oh. uh, there was a, the animated life with Louie series. That's her final credit. And she prov- provided a voice in the hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney version. And oh, now, okay. Oh, here's the big reveal. There's General Waverly. I love that as soon as uh, Bob sees him, he drops him and gives him a salute. It's just instinctual. Here, Phil's about to do it again. Da, 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 what? Boom. Drops the suitcases. General Waverly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how stunned he is. Like, they, the last person on earth they expected to find at this inn in Vermont. And there, um, of course, again, I mention again is General Waverly played by Dean Jagger. And Anne Whitfield is his granddaughter, Susan. Of the entire cast, Anne Whitfield is the only one still with us. She is still around. Uh, I have done my best to try and wow. contact her and find her, but I have not been able to because she does not have any uh, credits on IMDb past 1990 or so. So she's probably, mm. you know, she's got to be in her late 70s at this point. So she's, you know, right. assuredly in retirement and uh, probably just leads a very private life and 
you know. But uh, I would love to talk to her, obviously. Um, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It would be amazing. It would be amazing to talk to someone that actually was here making this movie. Um, right. <clears throat> Dean Jagger, I, I just, uh, he's so great in this movie. I don't really know him beyond this movie, but I want to watch him in other movies because he he is so effectively plays the parts. You really do like this guy. You, and he has a commanding presence. You understand why these guys followed him. Uh, uh, and you really feel for him in this movie. He's just, just the look on his face he gets in, in a, a few places. And like when he winked it there, uh, you know, he just, he, he, you know, if you can kind of take a good, you know, if you can take a good chunk of a movie that's got Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye in it, then you're pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's tremendous in this movie. He really is. He was in a, he was in a ton of great movies. Uh, he was in bad day in black rock. With Spencer Tracy, which is a tremendous movie, um, he was in uh, Vanishing Point in the seventy. I mean, he he lived up until nineteen ninety one, and was still in in things until nineteen eighty five. His last appearance was on an episode of Saint Elsewhere, of all things. But um, wow. <laughs> but yeah, he had a he had a he had an amazing career as well. Like I said, his he has uh, hundred over one hundred and twenty five credits on. Uh, IMDb. So he's again. He, he was in a Twilight. He was in a, a particularly effective episode of Twilight Zone. It's funny here. We uh, uh, Chris mentioned this to me earlier on, and I knew it too. Was that they call him the old man, and yet Dean Jagger was several months younger than Bing Crosby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, they they sold it. You know, it, it gives it, it, it. It's a testament to Dean Jagger that you totally buy that he is, you know, the commander of of Bob Wallace, even though they're the same age. Yeah, he's just got that whole grizzled, uh, but yet heroic and but still kind kind of look about it. He's just perfect for the role. Yeah. Now they've established here what the problem is that this that uh, General Waverly has bought this in, this inn, and it is uh, because of the lack of snow. It's not a financial success, and he has sunk all of his money into it. His pension, his army, his army pension, all of his savings, and. Uh, the, the place is essentially dying, and Bob and Phil want to do something about it. They want to help him out, so they're trying now here. They're hashing out how they're going to do it. There's that weird line about we got to get something here. we got to get something here that's rare. What, are, what if we dig up a Democrat? Uh, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> such an odd line. Um, I guess, I mean, I should have looked this up. I mean, I know that um, in the late 40s and early 50s, it was the New England area that generally – tended to vote Republican more than uh, Democrats. So maybe in Vermont at that time, uh, Dem- Vermont was heavily Republican. You know, oh, my, how times change. Um, right. But uh, that's, a, that's such an odd line. And, they, they may, and then Bing Crosby's retort is they'd, they'd stone him. So like, wow, <laughs> things are really hostile to Democrats. Up there. <laughs> it's a funny line, too, also, because Danny Kaye was in, in – his life, a staunch Democrat, a very, very openly liberal guy. So here he is sort of goofing on that we're going to drag a Democrat up here to Vermont. I believe Rosemary Clooney was, too. Her family tends to run that way. So Right, yes. <laughs> you know what? Now it's a good time. Uh, Chris mentioned something earlier before we started recording, um, that there is a very tenuous but fairly direct connection for this movie to Aquaman. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you, I, I never even thought about it. And so once you pointed it out, I was like, of course there is. So, Chris, why don't you mention what that connection is? And since we're doing this as part of the Fire and Water feed, 
Uh, why don't you explain to everybody what the connection to Aquaman is? Okay, sure. Uh, well, uh, Rosemary Clooney uh, was married to actor Miguel Ferrer. Uh, Jose, and, Jose, uh, Ferrer. Jose Ferrer. Ferrer. I'm sorry. Ferrer. Jose Ferrer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jose Ferrer. Uh, they had a son, Miguel Ferrer, who uh, is a known comic fan, and uh, he has played several roles uh, that were connected to comics. Uh, in fact, he was in Iron Man 3 this summer as the, right. uh, the vice, vice president. president. Yep. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, important to the, to the Fire and Water podcast, he was the voice of Aquaman <laughs> on, uh, an animated series. Amazing. Uh, and of course, and of course her nephew, George, I think everybody knows who he is. He played, uh, Batman, of course, in the, uh, much loved, not really, uh, Batman <laughs> and Robin, uh, <laughs> So her son was Aquaman, her nephew's Batman. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. I, I never, I never um, but, thought uh, yeah. about that. that yeah, the, the, there is such a direct line to a piece of Aquaman history from this movie. You know, that's 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 remarkable. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, I believe um, that uh, Jose Ferrer uh, was considered uh, as uh, for the role of the Joker on the Adam West Batman series before they cast. Cesar Romero. That's right. Uh, That's right. So I've read that several places. Uh, And Miguel Ferrer, uh, he played, uh, he was the voice of the weather wizard on Superman, the animated series. And he played a very weather wizard like character uh, on the uh, unaired uh, Justice League pilot film from the 90s that had Famously had David Ogden Steers as uh, Martian Manhunter. <laughs> Manhunter, yeah. So he was the weather man, not the weather wizard, Miguel Ferrer, but it was close. And uh, I think him and Bill Mooney were in a. I think they were the guys that did Fish Heads, right? No, uh, Bill Mooney, but not not Miguel Ferrer. They, oh, okay. they, they okay. did they did a comic book together for Marvel called Comet Man. Uh, yes. in the eighties. I think they both yes. wrote it. So, yeah, yeah. Miguel Ferrer is a big, big comic book guy, yeah. I think he and him and him and Moomy, I think where I got confused, he and Moomy were in a band called Seduction of the Innocents <laughs> that used to play the big comic conventions. Like, because they were always there. And, you know, I've seen pictures of them two hanging out with, you know, like Bob Kane and Jerry Siegel and Jack Kirby. And, you know, when all these guys were, like, in the 80s when these guys were – were, were, you know, older, but they were like the young guys hanging out because, you know, they had, they were, you know, they had, they got in with the big guys because they had the family, they were, they were famous to, you know, to a point. So, uh, but they did, they did play, uh, I, I believe their band played at several uh, comic cons, but that, that's the, that's one of the comic connections in this movie, probably, and definitely the, the one most pertinent to the Fire and Water podcast. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so, so the, what's been going on, uh, is that, uh, Bob and Phil have determined that they're going to put on their show at the inn. And by, by doing that, they will attract customers to come to the inn to see the show. So now everyone is on board. They know that the, the general is very pleased at this and they've got the whole show. And there was a scene there of the entire cast and they're building the sets. And now this is a, I love that the, the, this is supposedly a rehearsal number. Uh, this this song, uh, Mandy, the Mr. Bones slash Mandy song. Yeah. yeah, this is ridiculously complicated. I mean, it's just like I cannot believe that they would consider this a rehearsal. 
Um, I mean, it is it is huge, and you can't believe. Why would the Columbia Inn even have a stage this big? I mean, this is this is like Radio City musical. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't, and not that I'm complaining because it's great. This number is actually really great, but I don't even understand how they could. I don't think the walls of the inn were tall enough to have this giant blue backdrop <laughs> that, they're, that they're all like standing on tiered yeah. and just like uh, they took the roof off the inn. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is remarkable. This is a remarkable number. Um, now this is the, the they sing here about. A minstrel show, which, of course, you know, in, in, in modern parlance, minstrel really kind of only means one thing. At the time, it wasn't necessarily just meant to be, you know, meaning like sort of blackface. It was it was any sort of comedy music act here. Um, they do refer to uh, uh, somebody um, who did minstrel, did the blackface uh, in one of the, the lyrics, but this, this number is not right. about that, obviously. Now, here is Vera Ellen and her big... She she gets a bunch of great dance numbers here, but this is probably the big one, the the Mandy song, and um, I I gotta say I find her just completely and utterly uh, breathtaking in this. I think she her dancing is amazing. She's gorgeous. She is, uh, you know, for a movie that's pretty family friendly, uh, I guess it, she, she, this is pretty sexualized. You know, I mean she's. She's, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, she's, she's pretty, pretty scantily dressed. Uh, and, and the dance numbers are, you know, I mean, it, it's going to be only as suggestive as 1954 is going to get, but it's, it's fairly sexually charged for a movie that's, you know, considered a family classic. She looks great here. Yeah. I mean, she's singing uh, with Bob and Phil. It looks wonderful. Uh, you know, one thing I've read online while, while, uh, you know, looking for things about this movie was that, you know, there were rumors that, that she, if you notice, she wears high collars in like every scene. And, uh, the rumor was is that, you know, she had suffered from anorexia because she's obviously very thin and uh, that her neck had been ravaged by anorexia. But they said that wasn't true because in a movie from the same year, she has a, like a plunging neckline. You can see her neck and it looks fine. But I guess in later years, she really did suffer from anorexia before they even knew what it was. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a shame, but so, you know, probably, you know, a lot of, you know, especially actresses have struggled with that over the years, but yeah, she looks, she looks great here. My son walked in the room the other night when this was on, he said, she's cute. You know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. My 12 year old son, looks at, you know, she's cute. You know, since 1954, he's like, oh, she's cute. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. She sure <laughs> <there you> is. <laughs> when she, when she's yeah. in the middle of that. When she's in the middle of dancing with Bob and Phil, and she does the point where she walks towards the camera and winks at the camera, I'm like, "Oh Lordy Lord!" You know, <laughs> like that is. Um, now the guy dancing with her here, um, the, this this guy who's sort of doing, he's going to do a lot of the dancing with Vera Ellen because he's clearly able to keep up with her in a way that Bing Crosby mm -hmm. and uh, Danny Kay um, cannot. This is that guy's name is John Braccia. He was an actor slash dancer. He uh, only passed away last uh, early this year. He passed away in February, um, and it, it felt weird that, that this guy made news, you know, right at the point where I had sort of quote unquote just discovered this movie. Now he doesn't really get. He only has like one or two lines. Um, mostly yeah. he does dancing, um, but I did reach out to John Brashi's daughter at the time 
because I was very sorry that I didn't get a chance to try and like, track him down before he passed away. And she actually wrote me back, and I just wanted to read a little bit of what she wrote uh, talking about her father. She wrote, Hi, Rob. I'm beyond touched to know how much you enjoy the film White Christmas and my father's dancing. My dad was an athlete his whole life, and, and, and his dancing had an athleticism to it and a masculinity to it, like Gene Kelly, but my dad had incredible grace and sex appeal. Where my dad missed the boat was in his acting chops. He just wasn't a very good actor. This is where Gene and uh, Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire mm. were superior. My dad was also a horrible singer. I inherited that from him. I think because my dad's dancing career ended so long ago and because dancing is a really dead art form in TV and films, I think my dad would have been stunned and overjoyed to know his work and the work of his peers had recently made such a mark on people like you. My father was the most loving, charismatic, open person, and if he were still alive and he were well enough, he would have talked to you, talked to you on the phone and invited you over for a nice Italian dinner. God bless you and your <laughs> girlfriend, and I hope you share the film White Christmas with your friends and family for years to come. So I was very touched that she wrote back. And uh, even though I didn't get to talk to the man directly, I did get to talk to his daughter. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I made, I reached out to her because that's great to hear that he was a, a warm guy. And, and uh, boy, I, I, it's in, in some ways I'm kind of glad that maybe I didn't talk to him because I would have just geeked out on him. You know, <laughs> I would have just geeked out. And he was probably like 80-something. He probably would have been like, oh, my God, this guy, shut up already. You know, but I, I would have just been asking him so many questions about, uh, about this movie. But, um, yeah. He's very charismatic. I mean, he, he definitely, you know, uh, I noticed, you know, I kind of noticed him, too, the first time I really sat down and watched this. Maybe I'm like, who is this guy? You Because know, he he really kind of, along with Vera Ellen, uh, you know, dominates the, the the screen. I mean, he just isn't in the background catching her and twirling her around. You're paying attention to him, too. Yeah. Uh, which is saying something, obviously, because she's such a great dancer. Uh, it's a shame that he didn't. Uh, that he didn't have the acting chops to go along with it. Cause I think he, I, I get what she's saying. He, he is very masculine with his dancing. You know, it's like, it's okay for us to like this guy. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It's, he's all right. You know, he's, you know, it's for, for, because like you kind of like the whole musical thing. I'm kind of a late bloomer with that too. I kind of resisted, um, liking musicals. Uh, there were a few that I, you know, if it, it like, Grease, you know, I saw that when I was like a little kid in the theater. Uh, I'd give that a pass, but a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, it's a musical and I change it, but I'm kind of, uh, learning to, uh, open up to the idea that, you know, these are, these are great movies and you just don't get entertainment like this anymore much. So, you know, it's, uh, I've kind of come around to it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't mean to talk over that part at the end of the, the, um, the number, the uh, Mandy number, because the, 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 the jumping that she does around is remarkable. And the part that John Brashi does, there's a part where he dances upstairs backwards, which is, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, unbelievable. I, the first time I ever saw it, I was like, oh, my God, did he just do that? He's dancing up. Go, if, you, if anybody who's watching this movie, next time you watch it again, watch that part where Vera Ellen is at the top of the stairs the other guys have grabbed her and have carried her up the stairs, and he, the John Braccia, um, has to get there too. He is staring at the screen, so he is not looking at the stairs, and he dances backwards up the stairs. It is unbelievable how anybody could ever do that. I can't even walk backwards. I, exactly. I don't know how you. Do. <laughs> I, it's just unbelievable. When I, when I first saw it, uh, Darlin Tracy was like, maybe they reversed the film. But I'm like, no, no, you can tell when they reversed the film. That's that's yeah. that's him just doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the, uh, this song, do you think this song's probably the second most famous from this film? The uh, count, uh, after White Christmas, counting your blessings. Yeah, yeah, probably. This is this is uh, yeah. yeah. Now Bing and Bing and uh, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, Bob and Betty are you know they're spending some time here together in the middle of the night. The, um, we saw in the earlier scene of Judy basically shushing. Uh, Betty out of bed and insisting that she go get something to eat, knowing that Bob would be there. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're 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 playing, they're they're scheming here, and uh, Bob and Betty are are starting to really like each other. Again, I love the idea. This is probably in the middle of the night, and yet the inn, the the main building of the inn is up and ready. The lights are on. There's a fire. You can go get food, get sandwiches. I just, I just enjoy the heck out of that. That yeah. uh, that idea that like everything is open. In the middle of the night, and it's all available to you. I just, I don't, I, it, that 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 part of America is gone forever, unfortunately. And I, I, uh, right. I, I miss, I miss it. I miss something that I never actually experienced uh, firsthand. But boy, <laughs> I stayed at an inn a, a few months ago, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure if I went down and tried to get a sandwich up for the night, I probably got hit with a ball bat or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's it's a shame, yeah. I liked the, the, what he was talking about, what the different uh, the different sandwich meat would uh, make you dream about. That was <laughs> that was kind of cute. But yeah. apparently, of course, online I had lived quite a bit too. So yeah, I mean, Bing Bing clearly, yeah, was uh, you know good at that, and, and yeah, I guess they just let him go. And I mean, you know, one of the things that I think the reason this movie is regarded as such a classic is, it said, it is directed by Michael Curtiz one of the greatest Hollywood film directors of all time. I mean, this, this is, I mean, this is a guy who directed Casablanca, <laughs> Casablanca. Yeah. Uh, he did Rob. Well, that, I said that alone should, yeah, that by know, itself, if he just directed yeah. Casablanca. Uh, he also directed the adventures of Robin Hood, Mildred Pierce, Yankee Doodle Dandy, uh, the Sea Wolf, cool. the Seahawk. I mean, this is a guy with amazing, uh, amazing skills, and he brought them to bear on this, you know, in this movie. I mean, this is, this wasn't, you know, this this was big stars. This wasn't like a toss away little project. This was a big thing, and so they had a heavy hitter as director. And I think it 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 gives the movie an extra level of quality that you had someone with an actual director's eye, you know, to. To, to use a word that's overused, a vision. You know, he clearly had a vision for this. And there is a – there. well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But there's a part of this movie that I am utterly transfixed by. I'm transfixed by the whole movie, but there's a particular scene that I am utterly transfixed by. And it to me, uh, after I saw that the scene, uh, it's near the end, is not in the original script – that to me tells me that it was the work of Michael Cortese. That Michael Cortese decided to do this particular shot, and to me, it it, it makes the movie. And I said I will go all about it, I'll go on and on about it when we get to it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a startlingly well directed movie, and of course, it was done by one of the guys best guys ever to do it. Well, uh, the the Adventures of Robin Hood's one of my all time favorite movies. So I mean, and of course, Casablanca is without reproach. You can't say anything, you know. So, but. You know, he definitely gets, you know, on a personal level, uh, you know, the fact that they've never made a Robin Hood movie better than that. Yeah, uh, yeah right, yeah. They've had, they've had 80 they, years to do right. it. They haven't been able to do it, yeah. Right, so, you know, I love this scene here, the, just the, 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 the emotion can 
conveyed by Jagger is the general goes from, you know, he's, he's so, he's kind of cocksure almost. Yeah, I'm going back in, you know, they're, you know, I'm going back, I'm waiting for a letter from Washington and then just how it kind of, just the look on his face is just, you know, he's kind of got a Glenn Ford-like quality. There's something about him. Oh, yeah, Glenn Ford yeah, a little bit. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could have seen him. I could see him as Pa Kent uh, in, in Superman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally could see that. Yeah. Yeah, you could. I mean, you know, he'd be great. There's a lot of smoking in this movie. Everybody's smoking. Yeah. Everybody's smoking. Yeah, Bing Crosby rarely seen without his pipe, I yeah. guess. So, so yeah, now, General, the, as Chris said, the General is going to reveal here in the scene that he has applied for a new position in the army he wants to come out of retirement and he is as 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 you say yeah look at him he's brimming with pride he is he is so sure that the army's going to take Sitting him back straight. yeah, yeah. He's, he's he looks very very cocky here and we're going to find out in a moment that in fact the army doesn't want him they consider him an old man and he's he's not he's not of any use to them and here they're being i mean bob has got the uh, got the letter in his pocket from the war department now of course by this point, the War Department was no – there was no such thing as the War Department. It had been changed to the Department of Defense. But these guys, when they knew it, knew it as the War Department. So it makes sense that they still called it that. Right. I love, here's an ad lib coming up of Ben Crosby about the playing the trombone, moving the letter back and forth. So, yeah. can, so his eyes can forget. And you can see the way that uh, um, Dean Jagger chuckles. You get the sense that was an ad lib. He didn't expect him to say that because that, that laugh seems genuine. This letter that the general gets is pretty harsh. I got to say. Yeah, it is. You know, it's like <laughs> they, they don't just say, no, I'm sorry, we can't use you. It's like, no, you're tired and washed up. You don't do it. You're you're of no use to us. And you're like, boy, pretty, pretty tough yeah. stuff. I, I get the impression that the guy that he wrote was obviously a friend, but he was he was kind of busting his chops a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. He, 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 maybe he thought he was joking more than he than he was. He, he maybe thought he was only half being half serious, but obviously the, the general had his heart set on it. And that you can just, he like ages and 10 years and like the two seconds he's on that bench after, you know, it's, yeah. it's so great. He can face that so well. I got to admit, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for, you know, the, what these dancers have on right here. You're talking about the girl at the beginning with the iced tea. That's, that was my thing right there. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. The, the, you know, uh, the leggy, the leggy dancers. It's maybe it's the, it's the whole black and everything. <laughs> yeah, they, these Bob Rockin' fast not, not bad looking at all here. Yeah, the only he, you know, not, not a whole lot of guys can pull that off, but it looks you know looks fun on him. There's a moment here that's really funny where I think Danny K, uh, Danny K forgets where he is because he's smoking. And then uh, um, he, you know, him and Bob are talking, and he's smoking while he's, while he's talking to Bob. Now, hold on a second. Um, you'll watch Danny Kaye. He, oh, no. he takes a hit of his cigarette, and then he just chucks it on the floor. It's like, Phil, <laughs> you're inside, dude. What are you doing? Like, that's very, Burn me in down. <laughs> yeah. This thing is made of old wood, Phil. What the hell are you doing? I think... See, I think Danny Kay forgot that he's not on a set. I mean, or that he is, you know, that he's uh, he's supposed to be in a real building. He's not uh, just on a set. Well, see, Phil was always coming up with another plan. His plan was to burn the end down, <laughs> and so the old man collect insurance. 
all of a sudden White Christmas takes a film noir turn for some reason. <laughs> yeah, now right, we've established here that the that the they've changed the plan. The plan is now going to be that they're going to go on the Ed Harrison show and get everybody to come on and do this big show and, and be a big treat for the general because the general is not going to have a chance to go back to the army. Now, here's another number, choreography. Uh, I yeah. love these girls. They look like they could be uh, Dracula's brides from a Hammer film. <laughs> yeah, they totally. I'm, I'm keep waiting for uh, for Christopher Lee to show up and hiss at them. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Cushing's going to walk on set and try and stab these girls. Yeah. yeah. They, all, they all look like, you know, Dra- Dracula's succubi here. Um, they're very attractive. This is, a, yeah. this is a cute number. I mean, this is a parody of Martha Graham, who was, you know, huge at the time. Martha Graham was sort of the, this innovator of dance and music. It's sort of funny to think about how this is, think about it, this is 1954, right? And this song is yeah. about how theater, musical theater, ain't what it used to be. So in 1954, yeah. they're already bemoaning that it's not what it used to be. And yet, from our perspective, yeah. the 1950s is like the golden age of theater. And yet here, they're right. kind of like, oh, yeah, nobody nobody does anything great anymore. It's all choreography. When I first saw this, I couldn't help but think, okay, so Madonna didn't invent Vogue. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Kaye is very skinny. Very skinny. Yes. He mentions earlier he doesn't weigh very much, so there you go. And the set, the set is very, you know, abstract, very, you know, modern art kind of looking thing with these weird shapes and the sort of bizarre colors. And the the girls, I said, are in these unusual outfits. I love here in a moment. Oh, here's here's Vera Ellen coming down. Nice legs on Vera Ellen there. She's doing this tap dance number. I love I love when when (laughs) Phil looks at the girls. Like what? How's she doing? (laughs) <laughs> That's great. And then in a moment, uh, John Braccia playing John is going to come out of the floor. I love this, where he springs out of the floor. Um, like this, this is this reminds me a bit of the Batman TV show. It has a similar feel to it. Yeah, looks like some of the sets from season three when they didn't like they'd have the incomplete sets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a staircase in the wall, like. Yep. Oh, there he is. Yeah, Sean Brown. Now that, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> like, what they do, shoot him out of a cannon? It's, yeah, I mean, that's what it looks you, like. If, if you look, if you look close, you can see there's a trap door there that he springs out of. But how did they close it again so nobody steps on it and falls to their death? It's amazing. Yeah, it's like sleepless. Yeah, and and as you mentioned, this is all one shot. This this whole number here, yeah. this is this yeah. is all one big piece. And imagine doing all this dancing wearing a full suit, you know? Wow. Oh, there we yeah. go. There's a, there's a cut there. But, I mean, the cuts are pretty, yeah. you know, they're pretty hard to recognize, you know? I mean, they go by pretty quickly, and they're they're pretty unostentatious, so you don't really get the sense that, you don't really figure it out that, yeah, boy, you know, they that there is even any cuts. It feels like it's all one big piece. There's something about Vera Allen in this scene that she reminds me a little bit of, uh, uh, young Debbie Reynolds. I don't know what it is. Oh, no, I, yeah, <laughs> just, I absolutely see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sadly, Vera Ellen really did not have much of a career. At it. It's amazing, and it's sad to think that you can be in the number one hit movie of a year, and yet she only appeared in two other movies after this. She was in uh, a movie called uh, Let's Get Happy, which was another musical. Um, yeah. And... Um, 
she was in, uh, yeah, let, let's be happy. I'm sorry. Let's be happy. And she appeared on television, um, in uh, the Ford television theater and Lux video theater, but that was it. That was her entire career. And she eventually retired. And, uh, she, uh, she had unfortunately sort of a sad life and that she had a child, uh, who died, uh, apparently as an, as a, as a, as an infant, and she pretty much went into sort of seclusion and retired, and she passed away. She she taught dancing, uh, and then she mm. passed away in 1981. So that's it's, that that makes me sad to think about because I, she seems yeah. awesome. She just she is just a yeah. dynamo in this movie, and she she deserved. Yeah, I mean, apparently she wasn't that great of an actress. She she really was a dancer. But good lord, you know there was room for that. I mean, considering how many musicals got made in the 60s, big hit musicals, she she could have kept going. I think if if uh, I guess if she had wanted to. And yeah. now here, now we have Bob talking to uh, Ed Harrison, who is our stand-in for Ed Sullivan. And this is our Three's Company plot here, where um, uh, Ellen, Ella, overhears just a portion of the conversation and gives her the wrong impression. She thinks that Bob is going to drag the general on television and embarrass him. You can sort of bring him up as this pathetic old man. And, and do a sort of big pity party, uh, as yeah. uh, as Harrison says, we're going to do the forgotten man angle, as he puts it, and that is of course very yeah. troubling to Ella because that's that the general would never want that. It would make him a, 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 a figure of pity, I believe, is the figure she uses. Now we knew, now we know that Bob has no such plans. Bob dismisses that idea and says, "No, no, no, I want to come on your show and talk about that. We want to get everybody to the end." But of course. Um, Ella doesn't know this, and now she's telling it to, to Betty, and Betty is now going to be really pissed for the remainder of the movie. <laughs> yeah, to like the last five minutes. <laughs> until, the last, until the last five minutes, she's going to be very pissed. Now, I love how they layer this stuff in. There was that moment there where, where Be- Betty gets a piece of mail, and that's the thing where they say, oh, you got a letter from the Carousel Club saying you can come work there anytime you want. And, of course, Betty will, of course, do that later on in the movie. But I love how they layer that in, just yeah. that little offhand comment about, oh, here's a letter from the Carousel Club, and that pays off later. It's, it's great. That's a, it's a, that's yeah. wonderful screenwriting that you layer in that information, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're being – you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's being explained. You're like, oh, well, this is going to come in later. It just feels like very natural. But, yeah, but what's it, but, that uh... – What's that called? Chekhov's gun or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the gun. They, yeah, if you yeah. bring in a gun, yeah. you bring in a gun in the first act. It's got to go off by the third act. Yeah, right. But it, it, it this wasn't that obvious. Yeah, it's more subtle. Yeah, now she's Betty's really mad. Phil is Phil's like, what's, what's what's the matter? And Betty's so mad she's even pissy with her own sister, which is. I said I'm not hungry. What's that about? Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, Judy's trying to piece it together. Now, I love, I love. When he grabs her by the hand. Let's go get something to eat. They're so cute together. They really are. They're adorable. Yeah. Here's some more dancers in short shorts, Chris, for you to enjoy. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's our big confrontation here between Betty and Bob. Or Betty won't just, you know, Betty's very passive aggressive. Betty won't come out and tell Bob what. What she's mad about? She she just acts really mad. Oh. She just acts really pissy. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, if she just you know if she just talked to him, of course the movie would have pretty much been over. <laughs> right. So, right. so 
we've got to we got to keep her a little little sniffed at, uh, at right. Bob here for a while. Right, but I mean, it, you know, I mean, it, it's acceptable because you're like, well, maybe Betty's not that way. Maybe Betty's not someone who confronts people. Maybe Betty is someone who is, you know, I know people like. I mean, I'm, I think I'd probably be more like Betty. I would be reticent yeah. to confront somebody. I would be just more get mad and storm off and. You know, so it, it it's it makes sense. Betty's just not that kind of person. She she, she she's so oh, yeah. and she doesn't know it's, Bob that well yet. You know, I mean it's it's plausible. She doesn't really know this guy that well, so maybe she figures, oh, he's maybe he's not he's not as good of a guy as I thought he was. Well it plays into the first conversation they had where, you know, she's you know, he brings up that they had an angle. Uh, you know, so she's probably figuring, well now Bob's playing his angle. He's exactly, going to use the right. old man to get a bunch of publicity for Phil's show, you know. And, and she's got a very, you know, she mentions the white knight and uh, the knight on the white steed several times in the film. So she does kind of got a almost like a Pollyanna type view of things. And, you know, so, you know, she kind of deals in absolute. So now, you know, Bob's kind of a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she's made her decision. She doesn't like Bob. And then yeah. Bob slams the thing. He's confused. Yeah. What the hell is going on? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah. I love that giant fire pit. That's that's great. We could just sit there and... They're roasting hot dogs? They're roasting hot dogs, <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now they're going to they're, they're gonna watch. Now, now the, the next phase of... Judy and Phil's plan is going to go into action now, where they're going to force these two together by getting yeah. by getting married. By getting married, it's it's going to be a fake engagement, but they're going to do it. There's We've a lot got of- another com- reference here coming up soon <laughs> in this section. Now there's a, there's a line coming up that's kind of funny when you, if you look at it from a 2013 perspective, where she talks about. Um, She's got to get married, and she's like, you know, he, uh, they've got to be up here, yeah. And she goes, and it's it it's it's got to be a man. And Phil goes, it's an absolute must. And I'm like, well, not in Vermont anymore. <laughs> Actually, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not a must in Vermont. Vermont, you wouldn't necessarily need to be a man. So you know, things change. <laughs> It is, it is, this is something else too that like I, you can only get away with in old time movies of like, you know, Phil is a grown man and yet he acts like a child around a, a woman. You know, he's, he's like a kid and he's scared of her and, you know, it, you just couldn't do that nowadays. That, that would, that would, you know, it would, it wouldn't make any sense. He would be like, wait a minute, why is he running from her? I mean, here's this incredibly attractive woman. Who's clearly very into him, and yet he's acting like a, he's half of Abbott and Costello again. You know, he's acting. He's like, yeah. But that was just, that was just a comedy staple back then. Was the you know the overgrown man child who was afraid of women, even though you know Danny Kay at this point is in his thirties. Yeah. Well, you know, if that if this movie was made now and he reacted that way, he would have to be the total socially awkward uh, nerd character that she eventually you know t- turns into a you know. Uh, uh, you know, big strapping loving man or yeah, something. You right. know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have accepted that offer, no problem. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah, why not? Well, you know, you 
I mean, it's it's perfect. You just put them in the act, you know. Put them in the so act. It just works out. Works out. Yeah, yeah. They give it. Yeah. Why not? Family act. <laughs> now there's a, there's a line here where he talks about uh, your my cocker spaniel. Uh, you're way more attractive than my cocker spaniel. But he, if you look at his lips, he clearly doesn't say that. The line is is something else. Uh, they obviously felt mm-hmm. they need to redub it, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't match at all what he's saying. I think it's right about here where he says it, and it doesn't it just doesn't. Yeah, but the, my cocker spaniel. It's clearly not what he said. But what the hell? The cast party is tonight on the house. Very nice of General Waverly to do that. Now we're throwing yeah. throwing this party here. And uh, Mrs. let's say T F Waverly. There's a trivia question. <laughs> What, what's the uh, general's uh, middle name? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. What is it? Let's see. It's a uh, Thomas. It says Thomas F. Waverly. Doesn't I don't know what Franklin. I, Franklin. Okay, Franklin. Okay. <laughs> I love that jacket. Oh, no. I love that guy playing guitar. Uh, we're right there on the left hand side of the screen. It looks like Walt Disney playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and Miss Lettuce is at the party. You know, we see her there and talking to Betty. There, now we're going to make the announcement. Oh, no, not there. No, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. They're not going to make the announcement yet. They're going to, they're trying to pair everybody up so they're going to dance. I love this. Hey, Betty, how about some exercise? What are you saying? Yeah, classic dance partner switch. Yeah. Angle. Here's another thing completely out of, <laughs> out of time. Like the whole notion of cutting in on someone's dance, like that's totally gone. You know what I mean? Like if you were dancing with, oh, your, yeah. if you were dancing with your wife, at a, at a function, and some stranger wanted to cut in, you'd yeah. be like, get the hell out of here, what are you talking about? You know, but that was just a totally yeah. acceptable thing back then, for a stranger to just go up to a woman and be like, can I cut in? That's that's gone, yeah. that's completely gone. I love this, when he's singing the song, and then he's, yeah. he's trying to twirl them, he pushes Betty with Bob, and then that guy horns in again, and he keeps yeah. singing the song, though. He keeps singing, yeah. And then he grabs the guy by the hand, introduces Harry. Goes. Mr. Here's where Bond, where Bond comes in, where you know they get to dance together. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that guy looks familiar. Uh, the guy who cuts in. That, yeah, I don't know who he is, but he looks familiar too. Yeah, I don't know. He's not. He's never named, so I, there's no way to look him up in the uh, in the in the castles. But yeah, he does look. Everybody here to me looks familiar. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait! I just found him. Here he is, because they, 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 okay. she names him. He says, "Mr. Harry." She says, "He." Uh, when he introduces him to Miss Lettuce, he says, "Mr. Herring, Miss Lettuce, Mr. Yeah. Herring." This is Grady Sutton, is the name of that actor. Uh, yeah. I don't. Let's see. I'm queuing up uh, his IMDb page to see what what he's been in. Um, he was in. Let's see. He was born in 1906. Lived till 1995. He was in movies like Anchors Away, Stage Door, The Bank Dick, Alice Adams. So uh, I love you, Alice B. Toklas with Peter Sellers. He was on Batman. He played Irving Cash on oh. Black Widow Strikes Again episode. So he was in that. There you go. That's that's had oh, to be where you thanks. saw him. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, probably where I saw him. <laughs> yep, yep. His last credit. His last credit was as the school board president in Rock and Roll High School from 1979 with the Ramones. Oh, wow. but he lived until 1995. Yeah, yeah. Another guy with an incredibly long career. 
So there, they've they've announced the engagement. Betty's uh, Betty's happy, but also sad, of course. She takes off. The general is noticing it's, it's what's going on here. Yeah, it's kind of you know I'm almost surprised that, that Betty didn't uh, wasn't a little more uh, objectionable to the engagement since uh, you know she now thinks Bob's a you know just out to to basically use the old man, the general, and so you know she would you would think she would kind of think maybe Phil was on it too, but yeah. uh, I guess she doesn't. So yeah. that works out well. <laughs> Yeah, I li- I like the scenes of the general who is he's noticing something's up. He's 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 happy here yeah. with Phil and uh Phil and Judy, but he's he's noticing something between Bob and Betty is not right and he's 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 letting it simmer. So I think that that's a great little detail too that he's uh you know. Yeah, we kind of I think we were talking over the part where he walked in while they were kissing. Oh, that's uh, right. By the yeah. fire. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, I just had a little sweet tooth. I guess I'm not the only one. <laughs> Which I thought was fun. <laughs> you know, Bob tries to reconcile with Betty again, but she's she's not having any of it. She's just. Yeah, you I almost thought this was going to work right here when I first when I first really sat down to watch it through. And I guess I'd forgot about the whole other part. But she ain't, she's not having it. Nope. <laughs> You gotta feel bad for Bob. He's like totally clueless through this whole chunk of this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, "What'd I do?" <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> now, so, Betty, uh, Betty is so passive. That I was in like Flint. Like, she won't even tell her sister. Yeah. She will not even tell her sister why she's upset. Yeah, you, you're right. You would think that if she thought Bob and Phil were such horrible people, she would she would say, "You know, how can you marry this guy? He's gonna, you know, he's a jerk. He's he's with but uh, uh, Betty's." Eh, you know, she's she's willing to let her sister forge her own path now yep. that she found herself a, a man. Judy looks very fetching in her in her jammies. I have to say, I think she's very cute. Yeah, very. They were very cute. Like the high collar. That's kind of a neat look there. Yeah, and they're gonna go to sleep. And now the next day, Judy is Judy's leaving. Judy's out of here. Now this part of the set here. Uh, that is not on Paramount. That is on the Fox Ranch because Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox, was the only studio that had a, had a part of a set that was that big and was an exterior like that. So Paramount uh, borrowed it for use of the film. I love that idea that uh, studios yeah. borrowed each other's sets. I, I find that very charming. You know, They were in competition with each other, of course. But I like the idea that, you know, hey, could we come and use one of your sets? Yeah, all right, come on and use them. I think that's it's very charming to me. Yeah. I love this too. Bob's talking to the station the station manager here and he's talking about that all the all these trains are gonna be coming from New York and Philadelphia and all this stuff. And he says it's gotta be on the uh basically on the QT and the station manager's like, No, uh, no problem, Mr. Wallace and it's like like it's funny, like in the fifties, I guess if you were a nightclub comedian like Bob Wallace, you could just declare that. You know, like you could just order people yeah. around and station manager like, Okay, sure. You know, like, wow. It, you know, nightclub comedians could declare martial law back then. They were pretty powerful. It, it's okay. Well, you know, I, I think I read uh, uh, that uh, in a night in the nineteen forty eight poll, this is from IMDB, 
declared Crosby the most admired man in the world, ahead of President Harry S. Truman, wow. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Jackie Robinson, and the Pope. So, <laughs> I guess so. so yeah. yeah, I guess so. If Bob Wallace, aka Bing Crosby, says, you know, keep it on the QT, keep yep. it on the QT. Yes, sir. Maybe not the president, but. <laughs> Now, here is the only instrumental dance number, uh, Abraham, they call it. This is a gangbuster number. I mean, uh, uh, Vera Ellen looks just fantastic in this yellow outfit. Uh, yeah. The dancing is unbelievable. Um, I, Chris, am I, I – I can't be the only one thinking this. Would not have she had looked, been like a great – if they'd ever made a Justice Society movie in the 1950s, she would have been Black Canary? Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's great casting, you know. If somehow and, and, they had made oh, that, yeah. I just I look at her and yeah. I just think, damn Black Canary. Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, he actually, you know, he would have been a pretty good Jay Garrick, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, has, he, he looks like he definitely would have been a superhero. He has that look. Yeah, he's, yeah. Got, the, he's got the smile, you know. You just saw Jay Garrick smiling yep. and, you know, looking stuff. So, yeah, good Flash, good Black Canary. She's kind of got almost a Silk Spectre outfit going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's watch. true. Yeah, this is great. This is a beautiful number, and it's again, it's very, you know, pretty, pretty sexy number. You know, I mean, they're yeah. they're, uh, I, you know, it's uh, it's. I mean, this is considered a Christmas movie. I mean, it's White Christmas and the the song, but there's a lot of most of the musical numbers are, of course, not Christmas related. I mean, it's really only no. the end that, that comes in. It's the fact that the, the whole final scene takes place on Christmas Eve makes it a Christmas movie, but it's not like the rest of the songs are are limited to that. Uh, Four legs right there. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's getting a letter here. This is not going to be good. This is from Betty. Betty taking a job. Betty is so passive aggressive that she takes a job without even telling her sister. That is is crazy. If I was Judy, I'd be like, what is the matter with you? Come on. (laughs) It's a duo. I mean, they're a a double act. It's not like it's just her sister that she – it's her – Work, working partner too. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm taking this solo job. <laughs> yeah, jeez, dear, dear Batman, I am no longer going to fight crime in Gotham City. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, I love this bit here. Now, now they've told they've told Bob what they've done. I love this. You want to be horsewhipped first? You, then you, then you again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're unhappy, I'm unhappy. And then he holds yeah. his arm. The, 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 the old bit with the arm again. He's still using that. The, the threatening with the hangers. I thought it was Joan Crawford there. For a I didn't know. <laughs> I love it. When Bob says, I wish the wall had fallen on me. <laughs> he just he actively <laughs> wishes he was killed in World War II. Yeah. Oh, poor Judy. He's so upset. Yeah. Yeah, I can't get that black canary thing out of my head now that you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to distract uh, Boy you. Thomas needs to get some time to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a there's an artist in Alter Ego that, that like, takes 40 starlets and, and photoshops them into uh, into super heroines, and uh, so he, he definitely needs to do uh, okay. first right, black yeah. canary. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll put a pie plate on uh, John Brashi's head, and we'll see what he looks like as a... Yeah, there you go. That's too. Yeah. Now Bob is going to go to New York. 
he's going to go to New York to uh, to to reconnoiter with Betty. I love that shot of Betty there and the Judy yeah. Betty Haynes thing. It's such a funny pose. Um, and he's going to go to meet it, grab it, Harrison, and, and go on the, his show and do his announcement. But uh, this nightclub, the Carousel Club, this looks like it's right out of Batman. This to me is to- yes, totally where. You know, somebody came and the Riddler showed up and gassed everybody and stole diamonds. It just completely looks like that. You can see Batman like coming inside, better stay outside, chum. You're underage. Yeah, you know? and yeah, like, absolutely. Yes, yeah, man. You know, walks on in and takes a seat. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's all I can think about when I see it. It feels like a, a King Tut yeah. is going to show up at some point. <laughs> now, now Betty sees that Bob is here. Somebody hit him in the head. Yeah, he's going to hit him in the head and he's going to forget. Now I love I love this bit where she grabs the band leader and she's like, I, let, "Let's let's do a different song. I don't want to do the song I'm supposed to do." And he's like, yeah. "Come on!" That's like she's about to go on three seconds later. Yeah. Betty, you don't change the song three seconds before you go on the thing. That's not very professional. What would they do with the, what would they do with her four dancers if they changed the exactly. song? Exactly, I mean, like, very corny. <laughs> <laughs> Betty, Betty's just not she's not getting it. Um, now these four dancers here, the one guy that's famous, the one we'll see the guy number three, uh, if you go from left to right is, uh, that is, uh, George, I don't know how you pronounce his name, George Chakiris, Chakiris. Um, he had a big career. Yeah. Something like that. He, this, he apparently was such a sensation in this number that people wrote letters into Paramount addressed to the guy who was dancing in this scene with with uh rosemary clooney and it it launched his <laughs> career, it launched his career and he ended up uh in west side story where he won an oscar for best supporting actor uh so yes. this really you know this this little scene where he has no lines he just dances there he is right here catapulted him into yep. stardom now of course now he has a comic book connection uh chris where did he end up he ended up on the syndicated uh, late 80s, early 90s Superboy TV series as a recurring character. I think his name was Professor Peterson. He was the scientist, the go-to scientist character on the series. And I think that character actually created Bizarro uh, wow, on that really? series. So, um, yeah, it, it, which, you know, yeah, the, yeah, he's the creator of Bizarro. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> now, of of all the musical numbers in this movie, this is the only one I would say isn't terribly effective because it's supposed to be very sultry and very sexy. And I just feel that, no offense intended, but I, I just find Rosemary Clooney just does not generate much in the way of sexual heat. She seems very matronly. I mean, uh, we, we haven't talked about this. We talked about Bing Crosby and Dean Jagger being the same age. But Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney are supposed to be romantic interests here. Rosemary Clooney was 26 when she made this movie, and Bing Crosby was 51. So he was literally double their age. But somehow you kind of buy it because Rosemary Clooney doesn't seem 26. She seems older than that. Um, It's not not that she looks old, but she just has a – to me, the way she carries herself, she doesn't seem like someone who's 26. So she seems older than, than, right. than what she is, so which is why her romance with Bob seems palatable. It doesn't look completely crazy. But at the same time, I just feel that Rosemary Clooney just was not terribly sexy. So that, that, that number is supposed to be very sultry. And to me, it just, it, it just doesn't really uh, – it doesn't give off that heat. And, and it, it, can, it, it partly tells the story of where, where Betty is at this moment. There's a reason. 
that there's a reason Love didn't do a right by her there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was the last to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So now she's here. She's sitting. She's sitting with Bob, and uh, Bob's Bob. Uh, this is a, this is a great little performance here by Ben Crosby. He's sitting at the table with his hands, and he's sort of like drumming his fingers along. You could you really get the sense he's nervous. He's he's nervous. He right. really likes Betty. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why she's so mad. But even here, she's still not having it. She's just not – she's refusing to uh, to give him the reason. So, you know, he, he holds her hand, but it's, just, it's not going to work. He's almost uh, – you know, here briefly you almost, again, think that he's almost going to make it through to her. Yep. And then walks uh, Ed Harrison. Ed Harrison. And that this kind of thing. Yeah. Or is that what his name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ed Harrison. Ed Harrison, yeah. The Ed Sullivan fill-in, yeah. Now, the guy playing Ed Harrison is Johnny Grant. Uh, he really wasn't much of an actor. He did have a bunch of credits, but uh, – well, actually, not a bunch of credits. He had eight credits, actually. That's it. Um, but he was really more famous for being the self-described mayor of Hollywood. He wasn't officially the mayor of Hollywood, but he was sort of this – he was this sort of just kind of guy on the scene – that uh, was that, that was just regarded as the mayor of Hollywood, and he lived all the way until 2008. Uh, so he was one huh. of the, he was one of these guys who was just sort of a famous for being famous kind of guy. So he really was not an actor, but he somehow managed to get into White Christmas, and he he plays you know he plays uh, the this Ed Sullivan stand-in. I think the current mayor of Hollywood might be that guy that dresses up as Christopher Reeve Superman. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In front yeah. Theater. <laughs> He should be as as many times he's been on you know online and different things. Yeah. He's always showing up. <laughs> now they're now here they're they they figured out that they have to distract the general to keep him from watching television. Uh, yeah. Where where Bob is going to make his appeal, so they have to delay him. And the first plan doesn't go right. The first plan is the the, the jeep is broken. The, the, his granddaughter says, "Oh, the jeep is broken," and he just dismisses that, saying, "I'll fix it later." I don't want to miss the Ed Harrison joke. So now plan B is uh, Phil is pretending to have this horrible injury. I love his yellow socks. Those are very, very – Yeah. really draw focus <laughs> on the screen. Um, but he's pretending to I have this – I was about to say the same thing. They draw the focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's pretending to be injured here. Now, again, this is something that, you know, this movie could not work in 2013 – because if you uh, if uh, you were trying to distract someone from 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 noticing that they've been mentioned on television, they would be texted about it half a second later by nineteen of their friends. Uh, you know, all of <laughs> all of General Waverly's friends would be like, "Dude, you were mentioned on television last night. Did you see it?" You know, so or he would have hit record on the DVR right as he got <laughs> exactly, up. Yeah, that too, of course. Yeah, I'll just DVR it later. Like, oh god, now we got to come yeah. up with a reason why the DVR doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Delete it, delete it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So here we are, we're on the set of the Ed Harrison show. Uh, I, li I like that we get to see sort of the backstage a little. We see the cameras, and I think it's yeah. just a nice little detail. And uh, 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 Bob is going to sing this song about uh, what do you do with a general, which Leonard Maltin, in his review of White Christmas, said is the worst song Irving Berlin ever wrote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's. It, it's a very ungainly song. There's no doubt because very, very few words rhyme with general, but uh, yeah. it, it gets the point across. Yeah. Well, you kind of get. I. You know. I. I read that too, but I kind of get the impression that that Bob kind of made it up pretty quickly 
uh, for this. It's not like right. he had a song right. about it sitting around. So it was just, you know, part of, you know, getting the message across. Um, but, yeah, you know, so yeah. Leonard, Leonard Malton, right. But at the same time, I think it was just, it kind of works with the story. If he had this, you know, this ode to General Waverly written, it's kind of like, okay, what, how did he have time to come up with that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I bet he's watching. I like this detail that they're watching Bob on TV, and the TV's black and white. That's a nice detail. Of course. TV would be black and white, of yep. course. That's a, that's a great, you know, I, I like that little piece of verisimilitude that, you know, that's what it would have looked like back then. Yeah. I'm almost surprised Betty's watching this. Yeah. Maybe she was trying to just see, you know, so she could just get madder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. I really want to stew about this, so I'm going to just, you know. Watch it so I can get even madder at this guy, so I can verify the fact that I really just hate him. <laughs> now, speaking of songs, because we have a second here, um, there were some songs recorded for this movie. I've tried to track down if there were ever any deleted scenes from this movie, but I've never been able to find them. The DVD doesn't feature anything uh, 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 on those. But there was a song that Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye uh, recorded for the movie. It was called Santa Claus. It's just, it's just simply called Santa Claus. Um, I don't know what scene it might have been for, or it was a scene that was cut. Um, and the only version of that song that ever has surfaced is on a Rosemary Clooney box set that I looked up on Amazon and costs $180 because it's like, Whoa. it's like nine CDs. So, uh, of course, uh, I'm not buying that anytime soon, but I did manage to find a, like, 30-second clip of that song, Santa Claus. And so after we're done this commentary, as we fade out, I'm going to play that so everybody can hear it. So you get to hear just for at least a couple of seconds of what this deleted song from White Christmas sounded like, because it's impossible to find. It, it's just, other than that box oh, no. set... It's never surfaced since, but uh, so you know, I don't know. There, in the original shooting what? script, there were other scenes that never made it into this movie. So maybe that's where uh, they were going to work it in. Now everybody is arriving. All the guys, or they've uh, all the guys that live in the New England area. Have I was going to ask you where you thought that song might go. I mean, like maybe it's. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. We were just talking about how none of the songs, except White Christmas, are Christmassy songs, and then that song's called Santa Claus. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it was. And in the, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I have absolutely no idea. Presumably, it was. Just, I, you know, it seems like it might have been something that uh, uh, from the show, like a song that would have appeared in right. the show, maybe near the end or something like that. I like this gag here with the well, they, the guy who can't close his pants because he's gained weight over the years. This is funny. Yeah, yeah. Bing pretends yeah. to punch him in the stomach. <laughs> it's not a very, not very fun, not very uh, affectionate. There, he's going to punch him in the gut. Jeez. <laughs> and now uh, that's okay with and where's my where are my suits where are my suits i don't understand what you do with my suits i sent them to the cleaners and he doesn't you know the general doesn't wear his you know, the, the, the susan says why don't you wear your uniform and the general's like no way i'm not wearing my uniform and then now now ella and uh and susan really lay it on thick here where they're like oh fine you don't want to show up yeah i love they love they grab hands and she leads susan out of the room <laughs> yeah. I like, and he says, "I'm going to court martial you." And she's like, "It took fifteen thousand men to take my place." <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah, and I, and I love that the general's muttering to himself. He's like, 15,000 men." He's like, <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> now, this is sweet. I love that Betty shows up. Betty's back. And Ella says, welcome home. I think that's so sweet that they regard yeah. this as their home now. This is their home. That, yeah. that line makes me think that uh, White Christmas could have been a great TV show. Uh, you know, yeah. like it's, set, it's set at the Columbia Inn. And Bob and Betty and, and uh, Ju- Judy and Phil live there now. They've decided to stay. And it's just be like, it would be like Fantasy Island. You know, we just have different people coming in yes. every week, you know, for various reasons. Right. You can come up with all sorts of plots there. So, yeah, I, w- I would have watched that. And now, oh, sure. Yeah, and now the general is wearing his uniform. He has nothing else to wear. So they t- this is very sweet. Takes her by the arm. And they walk, they're going to walk into the, uh, into the banquet hall. And uh, there's a great little bit here. It's really sweet where she matches his stride. She she stops for a second and, and restarts. Now here, there's a little mistake mm-hmm. here. When they walk in, and you hear the guy yell, Tin Hut. Now watch. You see uh, Ella and Susan right here. They're right next to the general. And then they start walking backwards. Yeah. They're walking backwards. Yeah. And then the shot. And then, this, then they're walking backwards again. Uh, they walk they they backwards twice. Clearly, that shot was captured by several different cameras, and they used it, and they didn't notice that they caught the same action twice. But what the hell? It doesn't matter. So now the general sees what all this is. This is all his uh, his a big chunk of his of his platoon or his command has come here to pay tribute to the man, including his including the captain, his adjutant captain. There we see him standing there. Um, there's a cake yeah. celebrating the 10th anniversary. So now we know he knows. What this is, and here's the here's the uh, they're going to reprise the old man song, which is very. I love the backdrop. They've managed to completely recreate the decimated part of (laughs) Europe that they fought in. It's pretty good, pretty good memory. Without having a without having a phone to capture pictures, that's pretty pretty sharp. Yeah. This is just very sweet. You know, this is that's one another one things I love. This movie is that. It's built on a very, very simple premise of a couple of people wanting to do something nice for someone who means something to them. And that's a very – you could not make a movie on that premise now. It would just seem too thin and too – but it, I love the simplicity okay. of it. It is just we are paying tribute to this man that means so much to us and we're going to go to this effort to remind him that uh, that he's not forgotten. And it's, it's very sweet. It's very, very sweet and uh, – you know, it, it, it's, um, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's so incredible. I love that. The, the, the adjutant captain says, just routine, sir. I love that a little bit. Just routine, sir. And now yeah. the gen- general's going to inspect them all, and he's going to give them a dressing down. Yeah. If they made this film today, it would probably, uh, um, you know, uh, with that premise, it would probably have to be like a uh, – uh, child-centric uh, Disney film, uh, you know, more family-oriented, not a general, you know, general release, you know, for, um, you know, not that a family movie isn't for everybody, but it would definitely be more geared toward probably the younger audience uh, with that premise, which yeah. is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was meant, you know, back then, this was meant for adults. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it was appropriate for families, obviously, because this was, but, but it was, you know, it's an adult movie. It's about adult people Adult concerns, you know, so it's not meant as a children's film. Right. So yeah, he shakes a bunch of people's hands. Very sweet. Uh, he personally thanks Phil, and then he personally thanks Bob. It's kind of amazing too that you know the way movies work, in that like 
we never really, other than that one moment in the very beginning where the general allows the guys to do their Christmas pageant, we never really see why these guys are so beholden to this guy. But you just accept it. You just, you know, you just see Bob and Phil really worship this guy, and that's it. You you have to accept that, and it doesn't really matter that you yourself have never seen the example. Yeah, I think Jagger, you know, sells it as part of it. And, and, and then, of course, Crosby and Katie, too. But I, I think uh, just he just, uh, you know, I keep going on about that guy, but I was just really impressed with him, yeah. uh, you know, when I really sat down to examine this. And, and uh, he just, you know, it's, he fills in all those years of, of service. Yep. Now, here's my all-time favorite musical number in the movie, uh, I Wish I Was Back in the Army. I think this is so funny. I love their performance, their little ho-hos in the middle of the song. It's so silly. Yeah. I just, I could listen, I could have listened to this for 20 minutes. If they had a 20-minute version, I yeah. could listen to this. I love the little whoop-dee-doo. They're just so silly. Um, the army really wasn't bad at all. Yeah. Three meals a day. and the, Now, there is a little brief little comic book connection here. If you look in the back, I guess the, that guy in the background is supposed to be kind of like a private snafu type of guy. And there's a guy there. He's in the left-hand yeah. side of the screen. He's reading a comic book. Clearly, when he should be working, because there's a there's yeah. a pair of legs standing there. So clearly, he's supposed to be working, doing some sort of army task, and he's not. He's reading a comic book. The guy next to him looks like he's in a trench with a rifle. So it <laughs> yeah, it's kind of serious. <laughs> Either they're training or they're you know, yeah. Now I will say this too, boy. Vera Ellen in a whack uniform that that's working for me. That is working. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I yeah. you know, but it just it is working for me. They they are so adorable here. This is so sweet. And of course, you know, after we've spent an hour of yeah. the movie with Betty so mad at Bob, it's great to see them all together now. You know, they're they're in a, they're there are two teams here. This is great. Yeah. This when is, when Betty walked on the stage, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, when when Betty walked on the stage, the look she gave Bob and the look he gave her was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. I like this. Nice too. Little, a little bit. There. There, that little, <laughs> they touch their hands. <laughs> now, there's a line here about the shows that civilians wouldn't see, how we would yell for Dietrich and Cornell. They're talking about Marlena Dietrich. And uh, I forget the name of the actor, but there's an actress who did these uh, um, very high-minded uh, shows for the military. Her name is Cornell. I forget her first name, but that's who they're talking about, Cornell. Now, the other line they talk about um, jo Jolson, Hope, and Benny all for free. They're talking about Al Jolson. Bob Hope and Jack Benny. The original line in that song mentions Bing Crosby. It's it's not Benny. It's Jolson, Jolson Hope and Benny, uh, Jolson Hope and Crosby. But they realized that it would have yeah. been weird to have Bing Crosby singing about himself, so they changed it from Bing Crosby to Jack Benny. And of course, all those guys did shows for the military, USO shows for the military during World War II. And then there's these weird suits these guys are wearing. <laughs> that's a that's an elaborate prop. Those four suits. That's a very elaborate prop. Yeah. Now here, that's the first full shot we see of the party, and uh, and then okay, now the adjutant captain is going to come in. He tells him now. Now they're kind of baiting you a little because you think it's bad news. He looks very serious. Yeah. And then they're like, "What? What's going on?" But of course, no, it's good news. There's snow. There's finally snow here in Vermont, which means. The hotel is going to be full, and everything is going to work out. So it's it's just the uh, the cherry on top of this particular Sunday of this of this movie. 
Um, I've mentioned this before to other people when I want to go on and on about this movie is part of the reason I love this. Another reason I love this movie so much is I want to be at this party. I, this party is something I wish I could live in this movie. I wish they could do like a purple rose of Cairo where Bing Crosby comes out (laughs) of the screen and invites me into the movie. I mean, there's other movies I love like Jaws. I love Jaws. I don't want to be in Jaws. You know, I love Star Wars. I, I, I love Star Wars. I don't want to be in Star Wars, but I want to be here. I want to be at this party. I want to be part of this. I mean, I guess I'm saying I wish I had fought in World War II, which is a horrible thing to say. You never want to be hope. You never want to have hoped you fought in a war. But uh, I don't know. There's just something about the the the, the cohesive, the, 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 the togetherness of this that I find so utterly appealing. And uh, I really wish I could be at this party. I, I, I just – and uh, I, that's – I love movies that have really great final scenes. Like, you know, la- like movies that literally have the last two or three shots of the film are really good. Those to me are yeah. always so powerful. And to me, this has one of the greatest final shots uh, in, in all of movies. And again, we'll, we'll get to it here. Now we're, they're, they're actually going to start singing – White Christmas. After all, you know, they yeah. started the movie with White Christmas, and we haven't heard it at all. And now we're going to hear it in a, hear it at the end here. They're singing White Christmas. I think this. You know, I think it goes without saying. This is probably the most iconic part of the movie that most people know. They think yeah. about them in these yeah. outfits yeah. on that tree, singing White Christmas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading online that uh, uh, Rosemary Clooney's actually. Uh, uh, from just up the road from me, from Maysville, Kentucky, and I guess they have uh, they've converted her uh, her home into like a museum. Wow! And they've recovered her dress from this movie. Apparently, the real dress is lost, uh, um, but uh, which is a shame. But they meticulously recreated it. And you can see it there. Oh wow! Uh, oh jeez! And I've never been there, but after doing this, I might have to you know <laughs> run up there something. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I knew the uh, the Clooney's were all from from near here. Um, her brother Nick was a newscaster on uh, the ABC station out of Cincinnati. Right. So I grew up with him as like our, uh, our as our like lead newscaster around here, and that's George's dad. Right. Um, right. Right. And he ran for Congress uh, a few years back too. So. Oh, that's right. That's but, right. Yeah. Now here, now they, they were doing the theme of the, the 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 Charger, the White Knight on the steed, um, and we're going to see that Betty got Bob a gift. Uh, she got that pretty fast. I don't know where she had time yeah. to go get this, but she got it. Um, and it's the White Knight, and we see that that's you know the symbol of all is forgiven. Now there's an unfortunate. We can't really see what's just off frame, but look how Bob dumps the the horse, right the, here. He's there. He just, just kind of throws it away <laughs> in the tree. <laughs> it's in the tree. I mean, I hope I, I'm presuming there's like some sort of basket or something right underneath the frame. But, I mean, boy, he looked like he just shattered it, whatever he did. It's like, geez, thanks, Bob. Yeah. I went to the trouble to get you that thing. There, now, I'll hear where it all joined in. And everybody's kidding. Now, here, now we're going <laughs> to lift the back part of the stage, which is going to reveal right outside. And we're literally going to have a white Christmas right on stage. And where Merry Christmas is basically going to be the final lines of the movie. Now, these final two shots coming up, this – this three shots actually here. This pullback we're starting to do. The camera's going to start here. It's going to start pulling back, and we're going to see everybody in the party. And then we're going to do a reverse where we're going to glide over the general table. Now, look, closely, you'll see Susan will reach over, and she kisses her grandfather on the cheek. 
and that causes Ella to tear up. She dabs her eyes with a tissue. This, yep. this shot here, everyone here is doing something. There's a guy at the bottom of the frame that gets up and hugs this woman. There's Everybody's yep. got a little piece of business. I find this shot, this final shot here, to be utterly – it gives me goose, goosebumps. It really does. And um, I never yep. tire of looking at it. I, much as I love this movie – uh, and that's the end, a Paramount picture. As much as I love White Christmas, those final two shots, I, I just, I could watch them all day. I, I wish I could figure out all those people and what they're all doing. I have to assume Michael Curtiz told them all, just do something. Just, just get up and do something. You know, he gave yeah. everybody a little yeah. bit of business. And it looks like a real party. And it is, um, it's the greatest party I'll never go to. And uh, the closest I can get is, is watching White Christmas over and over and over again. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's the movie guys. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, there's other stuff that I wanted to mention, but I, you know, we just went by, there was, there was uh, you know, we had so much to say. Um, Chris, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we, before we close out? Well, the ending just, you know, I'm, I'm with you there. It's got just a very dreamy like quality about it. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it, it is probably one of the best endings to a movie. Uh, period. You know, it's just so satisfying. And, and like you said, you just, you want it to keep going. You want that camera to keep panning back and showing more and, and not fade to black or, you know, not, not have the end up on top of it. And you definitely want to be there. So, yeah, you know, it's, I can't really say anything beyond that. But Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful movie. And like I said, it's, it's, it is considered by some people kind of a square movie and corny, but I love it unconditionally. And, you know, part of the, part of the reason I kind of wanted to do this, as we mentioned at the top, this has no connection to Fire and Water, no connection to anything we're doing on, on the podcast. It's, you know, who's who, nothing. Um, I wanted to do this because, you know, I know that sometimes on the on the Fire and Water podcast, I can be critical and a little crabby and, you know, whatever. I think I'm probably more that way than, than Shag is. But um, I love this movie unreservedly. I love it with all my heart, uh, with no ironic distance or anything. And uh, I am I, – I, there aren't that many movies that I feel this way about. And this is one of them where I just, I give myself over to it every time I watch it and I don't tire of it. I don't tire of it. I could watch it in the middle of the summer. It just doesn't get old for me. And, uh, that's why I wanted to do this. And, uh, you know, so I hope everybody enjoyed it. Chris, I really, really appreciate you sitting in with me. I hope you had a good time. And uh, I did had a great time. Great. And like I said, I, I hope anybody who's listening to this, I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that maybe sometime you, you put on White Christmas and you put put this podcast on and you need to listen to us prattle on and just two guys who just love this movie. So um, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Um, that's our commentary for White Christmas. Uh, I hope whoever's listening, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I mean, we have more. We have episodes of the show coming between now and New Year's. So. It's not like this will be the last thing, and um, but uh, I, I'm really glad I did this. It was something I, I sort of thought about doing a couple months ago, and I thought that's crazy. That's a who? That's a nutty idea. And then I thought, well, why not just do it? And now I'm really glad that that Chris. I was really really appreciate that you you joined me. So uh, thanks to everybody. And uh, like I said, you know, after you're done listening to this, go watch White Christmas again. I think I'm going to. Yeah. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry yes. Oh yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs>
Claus is here to pay a call With a precious gift for one and all Now here's a shiny new mesquite catch And here's a pair of shoes that fit match Here's a set of stripes for those sergeant types Here's some wool for guys who knit Woo! Woo! 